Hello everyone, welcome to On Air with the Chair Live. Tonight's call, we're going to be covering our recent agreement in principle with the company. And yes, we are still calling it agreement in principle as we're still working on final tentative agreement language. We did think it was going to be important to still continue tonight's call, however, so that we can talk to you in detail and provide you information on areas that we have been able to close out. That way, when we finally come to TA language, we can put that out to the pilot group for our comment period, where you can give us your feedback, and we can move on with our ratification process. So each of us tonight is going to provide a little bit of an overview and briefing of the areas in which we are in agreement. That is going to include uh, Adam and Victoria will be taking you through most of the components of where we are where we are standing with the company at this point in time. And then I'm gonna to talk to you a little bit about where we still are apart. There is still one area that we're working through, along with some of the items that the company tried to achieve in this negotiation, but were unable to. We'll also talk about ratification process and ratification timeline. After that, we'll open up the uh, Q&A. Q&A is going to be both on the phone and via emails. And remember, you can email questions to edvonair at alpa.org, or you can text or call 612-662-9825. And we're gonna let you know when we go live for those questions. But before we get into any of those components of tonight's call, let's go through some brief introductions. As you probably all are very well aware, my name is Nick James, and I am the Endeavor Master Executive Council Chairman, and I'm also a member of the Collective Bargaining Committee at Alpen National. And let's turn it over to Carl. Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining us. Uh, my name is Carl Wasmick. I am the Senior Labor Relations Council for Alpa assigned to Endeavor. I'm Adam Spurrier. I'm a member of the Negotiating Committee here at Endeavor. I've worn a couple other hats in my time at Endeavor as well. Uh, and I'm also the chairman of the National Fee for Departure Committee. And that brings it to me. I'm Victoria Burnett. I'm the executive administrator. And let's uh, keep it moving over to Peter Ruman, who Peter is our newly elected vice chairman of the airline. And uh, Peter would like to not only introduce himself, but uh, brief you on some volunteer opportunities. Peter. Hey, Nick. Thank you so much. <laughs> As Nick said, I'm the new MEC vice chairman, voted in just a couple weeks ago at the Alpa Board of Directors meeting. Uh, super excited to be here uh, in this new role. A little bit about me for those who don't know, uh, born and raised in Memphis, Tennessee, moved up here to Minneapolis, and I serve as a CRJ 900 uh, full-time instructor. So you may see me in the Sims when you come up for recurrent. Um, before the uh, vice chairman role, I was the chairman of the communications committee. I was also on pilot to pilot. Um, and currently I still serve as the as a member of training and testing as well as a member of the International DART Advisory Council with Alpa National. Uh, in this new role as vice chairman, part of what I do is uh, working with and support our MEC communications, or sorry, committee structure, I should say. I'm so used to communications. Uh, we have a great set of committee chairs right now as well as committee volunteers. However, being a regional airline, uh, we do see a lot of volunteer turnover here. Uh, currently, we have 11 committees who are seeking volunteers. Volunteers are really crucial to bringing uh, the pilot group agreements such as this one into fruition. Uh, committees that are involved in this process are negotiations, grievance, even communications committee. All are involved in some way to get this type of deal to you, the pilots. Uh, volunteers are also crucial to supporting the services that we offer here as an association. Things like pilot peer support, mentorship, HIMSS, critical incident response, all these services you might have used before. We could take, for instance, scheduling. 
The scheduling committee, or you may know them as PBS, ensures that the pilot's schedules are awarded correctly, and then when you have a miss award, they'll take a look at that as well. The jump seat committee makes sure that we have good reciprocal agreements with other, uh, with other properties, and if a pilot's having an issue getting a jump seat, usually they're on the phone trying to help them out. Some of these resources, like I said, you may have used before, and they're all uh, supported by the volunteers that we have here. So if you have, I, I, I say all of this just to say, if you have any skills that may set you apart, any hobbies that you enjoy doing, there's probably a place to put those to work in ALPA as well. Uh, take, for instance, you have personal skills. You love to meet new people. The Pilot to Pilot Committee is excellent for that. Uh, if you love getting into politics, just not on the flight deck, uh, the Legislative <laughs> Affairs Committee is uh, looking for volunteers as well. And if you just like helping people out through hard times, Pilot Assistance has a lot of subcommittees that could really use some volunteers. Uh, say, for instance, you're into art. You're an artist or you're really good at computers. The committee near and dear to my heart, Communications, is looking for website designers. They're looking for more people to uh, work on Dart for us. Um, th there's, there's so many things to be done on communications. And then finally, uh, this isn't me, but if you claim to be very smart, uh, Grievance Committee is always looking for people. It's a great way to learn the contract and help other people out in that way as well. So I say all of this just to say please consider volunteering. Uh, things like tonight can't be possible without the volunteers that we have on the MEC. And if you are interested, please go to alpa.org edv. Fill out the volunteer interest form on the member's homepage. That goes right to me, and I'll work with you to find a place that you'll be good at. Nick, that's all I got. Thanks for the time, man. Absolutely, Peter, and you're welcome. And before we get into the briefing uh, of tonight's call, I want to take just a moment, uh, what we call an MEC meeting, as a point of personal privilege, as in all likelihood, this is going to be my last on-air with the chair live call with the uh, Pilots of Endeavor. I, uh, as of November 1, I am on the Delta seniority list with an expected class date of February 7th, so I am within my holdback period. And I wanted to just kind of touch on what was going to happen during the transition as I step out of my role. And I also wanted to talk to you guys, oh, yeah, I also wanted to talk to you guys a little bit just about my time here at Endeavor. So as far as the transition is concerned, I will be stepping down as your MEC chairman on January 26th. The reason I'm stepping down on January 26th is that we have an MEC meeting where, where the location is still TBD, but it is going to be January 23rd to 26th. Now, when there is a vacancy in either the MEC vice chairman role or the secretary treasurer, that vacancy per the Alpha Constitution and bylaws can be filled at the next regularly scheduled meeting. However, the chairman's role is different. Per the Constitution, any vacancy in an MEC chairman's role has to be filled within 60 days. And the process to fill that means that you have to fly all of the reps into a centralized location in order to conduct an election because the election has to be done secret ballot and we do not have an electronic way of doing that. So it has to be done in person. That's neither a good use of the reps time nor a good use of our dues dollars. So I'm going to step down in advance of my departure date, which is now set for February 2nd. It was a little surreal watching my own resignation notice come across my desk, but it did uh, happen, I think it was today. So I will be stepping down uh, on January 26th in order for uh, the MEC to be able to effectuate that election and place a new MEC uh, chairman in this role that's going to guide you guys into the future. And I will just be very uh, honest and open with the pilot group that if I had a vote, I don't, but if I had a vote, uh, I would be voting for the person that is sitting to your left, my right, which is Adam Spurrier. He is a 
fantastic individual that has really strong, strong contractual knowledge, good relationships with the company. He knows the industry extremely well because he is the fee for departure committee chairman and he has been an upstanding individual to work with. So I know that he would have my vote if I did one, but sorry, Adam, I don't actually get to vote. So you're kind of out of luck on that one. Um, on a more personal level, I joined this airline in 2011 when it was the Pinnacle Colgan Masaba Trifecta. And I really didn't know what to expect out of airline life. I didn't really know what crash pads were about or jump seating was about, or even really what truly what uh, daily life was going to be at in a 121 environment. And I got an, a very quick education. Four months after I got here, we went uh, into bankruptcy. Um, we started hemorrhaging pilots left and right. I ended up staying in an extremely junior position for about three and a half years. But I was also a student of history and I understood the cyclicality in the nature or excuse me, in the industry. And I understood that the best carrier to be at today was usually the worst carrier in five years and vice versa. On top of that, I watched the leadership team led by Ryan Gum and several others come into Endeavor and really started to make some substantive changes, which made me excited to be able to stay and be a part of that transformation and that process. That got me involved in ALPA work where I started in 2014 on the grievance committee moved over to negotiating committee member for a year, negotiating committee chair for four, and I've been your MEC chairman for the last three years. When I started Alpha Work, we had, I think, the second worst contract in the industry next to Mesa, and through a very, very sound strategy, which was do the deal that makes sense, advance pilot initiatives and your strategic objectives, because good bargaining begets more good bargaining, we began to incrementally improve the contract. And what ended up happening is a situation where we led the industry as far as contractual benefits in all of the major pillars for eight years. We were recently supplanted with the American Airline Wholly Owns Agreements of Piedmont PSA and Envoy coming out about seven months ago. But with the agreement that we have before us today, I believe once we ratify that, we're gonna clearly once again regain the title of the best contract in the industry. So more on that here in just a little bit, but on top of just the, beyond just the contract, remember we were also able to navigate the COVID pandemic, which 90% of the nation's flying was parked. We were able to do that both on a macro and micro level. On the macro level, the PAC committee did an excellent job on Capitol Hill advocating for you know, payroll support and for funding for uh, aviation and airlines because we are a core asset to the infrastructure of the economy and we needed to be able to restart this airline and airlines in general and transports once the economy came back and it came roaring back faster than a lot of the economists predicted. On our level, even though there was that payroll support, there was still a lot of pressure from a lot of different uh, management groups to their MECs to still take some level of concessions. We were able to thwart those attempts by saying, look, we're not unwilling to give a little bit uh, in your time of need, the question becomes what is the methodology of recovery once we return to profitability? And because we couldn't solve for that equation, what we did was we just kept the current contract in intact. So our pilots here never took a single uh, con involuntary concession and we, didn't, and we avoided all involuntary furloughs, which is something that the vast majority of carriers out there uh, weren't able to achieve. We also right-sized a budget. Uh, we came in kind of unexpectedly with a little bit of a budgetary hole. And we, uh, through some kind of just stringent cost control measures, we changed that around to create a $1.3 million surplus that we have today. That will lead us to a reserve fund of about eight or nine months that we could operate this MEC without taking in a single dues dollar. And you're starting to see the fruits of that turn into different things like the pub events that we do and some of the outreach that we're able to uh, have that was absent before, whether that's you know some of the surveys that we're putting in, 
Like I said, the pub events, you're probably going to see more of those in the future. That is part of the way that we're starting to return the value of um, those dues dollars to the pilots. It also gives us a great opportunity to make sure that as turnover pilfers our ranks, and we heard um, Peter Ruhlman talk about all the volunteer opportunities that are out there, that we have that strategic war chest to be able to train those new volunteers. Because turnover um, and retraining of volunteers is one of the biggest expenses that we have on the MEC. Uh, we were able to advance different um, safety programs, such as ASAP Folker Crosstalk. And I'd like to personally thank, thank Vaughn DeHart and his team for all the work, and guidance, and patience in finally getting that uh, over the line. I'd like to thank the comms team. We have an excellent communications team uh, that are sitting back behind us today. I know Peter Ruhlman has been an integral part of that, but now it is being uh, headed by uh, Derek Lagasse. They have done an excellent job, not just on the live calls, but on the podcasts, on the chairman's updates, on the surveys. And I would be uh, remiss if I also didn't say thank you to Courtney Garmhouse, who is our communications specialist at Alpa National. I think she is the best in the business. So my point here in, in saying all of this is that this is truly a team effort. And it's not just the MEC that, um, and everybody that works on behalf of the MEC that puts value into this pilot group. It's also a great management team over on the Endeavor side. We've seen some very strong leaders over the course of our history. The Ryan Gums, Bill Lenches, Dave Garrisons, the Jim Grams. We've seen some, some very strong CEOs. Joe Miller, uh, John Daly, Philip Underwood. I know I'm probably going to miss somebody here and there, and so I do apologize. Um, but there have been some very, very strong leadership over on that side. Most importantly, I think Russ Elander needs to have a, a special shout-out to him because he has been an anchor point inside the Endeavor leadership team for years. And even though for some inexplicable reason Russ does not like kale, even though it has a lot of very, very good health benefits for you, he is still a wonderful, wonderful individual that, again, drives a lot of value. And it's, it's been a pleasure working with him and the rest of the team over there. Uh, most importantly, I just want to say thank you to the Endeavor pilots, because without the MEC, without the management team, you guys are the most important uh, commodity out there. It takes you guys directing us, guiding us, being unified behind what we're trying to accomplish, and most importantly, going out there every day and putting up the type of performance numbers, safety numbers, customer service numbers. That's what is able for us to go to the table with the kind of leverage that we have. So thank you so much for everything that you've done. Thank you, MEC, for, for trusting and believing in me, and thank you, Pilots, for giving me the opportunity to be your MEC chairman. Adam. Very well said, Nick. Um, now they actually want to hear this part because this is <laughs> right. This, this, is, the good this part. is where everyone's tuning in for. Um, and Nick will get a little bit more into the uh, the breakdown of the uh, how we reached this point of the agreement and where things still stand on the agreement. For full transparency, uh, this is still an agreement in principle. Uh, I know a lot of pilots were hoping to see tentative agreement language come out either over the weekend or last night into today leading up to this call so that you could have that full language in front of you. Um, unfortunately, this was not a deadline uh, that we were able to reach in time for this call. Uh, we planned this call out. We got all of the uh, subject matter experts schedules lined up to be in the room here tonight expecting to have that agreement in front of you um, and that is just unfortunately what can happen in bargaining sometimes we've obviously been very successful in the past with uh, our bargaining method through LOAs mutual benefits with the company um, but in this case there's just a couple items that we were still a part on and we weren't able to have this full language in front of you for tonight 
Uh, however, what we will be going for, uh, going over for you is some expanded details from the agreement in principle that we sent out uh, that was maybe a week and a half ago or so now uh, with the details of the items from the AIP, how they will take place should we reach this tentative agreement uh, in the near future here. Uh, so starting off, as everyone saw front and center on the agreement in principle, uh, we were able to reach new wage rates across the board for the airline, both captains and first officers. Uh, the escalators included in this wage rate table do place us at the highest in the industry uh, across all of the fee-for-departure carriers. Uh, most other carriers were in the range of 1% annual escalators. We were able to do a percent and a half uh, with one year at a 2% escalator. This positions us across the board throughout the duration of our JCBA to have the highest rates across the fee-for-departure industry. Uh, and at the fall 2028 final increase, that puts our uh, first officer amount at 120.87 per flight hour and captains at 237.35, uh, which is well above our peers in the industry. Once again, putting us back to the top of uh, the wage rates side of the contract. These rates are also permanent with the duration of the JCBA. There's no snapbacks, uh, wind downs, any sorts of clauses in there. There's no strings attached. These rates are a part of our contract. Uh, additionally, for those captains who stick around and provide 24 months of active service as a captain, uh, you can factor in that $110,000 retention program, which will still continue from LOA 130 as an additional roughly $50 to $60 per hour for these wage rates. Uh, one thing that you'll notice as well in the communication that we put out was a singular wage rate table. Uh, this was on purpose. Uh, we are shifting to a single pay rate across both the 200 and the 900 fleets. Uh, because of this, the 50-seat flying will have an additional piece of language included to state essentially that all flying under uh, 59 seats and less will be paid at the 60 to 76-seat pay scale. Uh, it's a little bit of a long-winded explanation, but essentially for those of you who are familiar, we have what's called the bridge agreement. Uh, which is essentially our fleet guarantee with the company. And there's a piece of language in the fleet guarantee that ties it to still having a 60 to 76 seat pay scale. Um, and so unfortunately we were concerned about the weird legal complication we would get into by just calling it a captain and first officer pay scale. So even though we will have pilots flying those 50 seat aircraft still for at least the next six months or so until they go the way of the dodo bird altogether, uh, they will be flying under a 60 to 70 seat pay scale, even though you're on a 50 seat aircraft. It's a little bit of an unconventional naming system, uh, but this is what allowed those uh, very important protections within our uh, fleet guarantee to remain in place. Um, that's part of the mutual benefits agreement uh, through this agreement in principle. Also coming out through the end agreement will be what's known as the revisions to LOA 130, which is the uh, temporary provisions for pilot recruiting and retention. Those are essentially becoming permanent provisions for recruiting and retention. Uh, as far as the retention aspect goes, uh, currently the program is only for pilots hired through March of 2023 at the furthest end or accepting a CJO uh, within the nine months beyond that. Uh, through the negotiations in this program, obviously there needs to be uh, some amount of trade-off for the company giving us these uh, top of industry pay rates. Uh, and really the only area that things were given up was the duration of when these programs can run. So now the retention program will run for the duration of our JCBA. 
Uh, one thing that the company gains in this area is discretion in the future on the amount offered of this program. However, the pilots who have already enrolled in it would be grandfathered under the uh, program amount that they're receiving already. For example, anyone who's signed on now under the $110,000 program, maybe this wage rate really knocks it out of the park and we stop losing 100 pilots a month. Uh, the company might be interested in lowering that amount to a $50,000 retention program for any new entrants on property, but anyone under the existing program would still receive their full amounts for the agreement that you signed on to. Conversely, if that program were to snap up later from this hypothetical $50,000 to $80,000, anyone who had signed on under the lesser amount would be able to be trued up to the new amount being offered to any pilot down the line. So we were able to uh, give the company some leeway on offering a smaller financial package in the future while still retaining a proper uh, equitable position for pilots in the future as well as protections for those who are still on property. Uh, one guardrail, so to speak, that we were able to instill with the bonus program and longevity match as well is that if our pay rates were to ever be modified downward from this, uh, either the amount currently found in this agreement, or even if we got a future higher wage rate, uh, is that if those ever see a downward movement through either a bankruptcy, a mutual negotiation, for any reason whatsoever, uh, the direct entry captain bonuses, the retention bonuses, and the longevity programs would cease to be available to new pilots on property. Again, anyone who is currently covered by those programs would be grandfathered, um, but we are aware of what's going on in the fee-for-departure industry. You're seeing contraction and attrition uh, at really carriers throughout. Uh, I, I don't think there's one maybe besides Piedmont who's plus positive pilots right now in the last year and a half. Um, so this was sort of a future-proofing and a protection um, of those programs for the pilots on property. Uh, one change under this longevity program, though, is that uh, under current book, it's only for ALPA pilots a one-to-one -one longevity match up to 10 years. Uh, this will now be covering Teamsters pilots as well. They are unionized, obviously not ALPA, uh, but there was value sought by the company to include a longevity match towards any Teamsters pilots uh, who might happen to want to come over to our carrier. Uh, additionally, uh, one High-ticket, high-priority item from the MEC was the removal of Ready Reserve. Uh, this has been a long-sought contractual improvement. Um, I was on reserve maybe only my first 15 months or so at the airline. There's other people at the table with me who sat Ready Reserve 10 to 12 times a month for three to four years, I think, somewhere in that range. I don't know who you're talking about. Yeah, we, we don't know who that might be. Um, but obviously, if you ask anyone who was hired additionally in the uh, early 2000s, that 0708 range, there's pilots at this airline who sat ready reserve the maximum amount for the better part of five plus years uh, throughout our seniority list. This is a significantly sought after item. Uh, anytime we have base visits, pilot interactions, um, when we used to do the in-person recurrent ground schools, what the feedback that we get from our negotiating surveys, this has been highly sought after by the pilots, and fortunately this is an item that we were able to capture through this negotiation. Um, for the complete removal of Ready Reserve, uh, there was a few different proposals that came across the table. Uh, we initially had an interest in trying to keep the voluntary or super seniority version of Ready Reserve. Uh, this was not something that we were able to keep in the agreement. Uh, there was a 
indication from the company that if we kept it as a optional program that they might not see enough benefit from it. For example, when you need one captain and one first officer to operate a flight, but you only had captains volunteer for ready reserve that day. Uh, so we weren't able to get that kept in this contract, whether it be for um, an improved version of voluntary ready reserve or under the current system of super seniority. Um, so that does come with a slight hit to roughly three pilots per domicile, um, or three pilots per position, I should say, as far as front side commutability. But in exchange for that loss of voluntary super seniority ready reserve, we were able to secure more beneficial early release provisions on the backside of your contact period. So per the agreement and principle language that we have now, uh, any reserve pilot who has not received an assignment or has released or re returned off of their assignment onto their contact period would now auto-release nine hours after the beginning of the published contact period in the bid pack. Uh, one benefit to this situation would be, for example, if you were a P1 pilot and you were on a, uh, your second to last day of reserve and you got back at, say, 11 or uh, 10 or 11 p.m., for your legal rest the next day, that might put you within maybe an hour or so of your auto-release, uh, where you're essentially a pumpkin for contactability purposes the next day. Uh, this is a big benefit in that even if you had a contact period change, if you had a late assignment getting back, you would auto-release not under the current book provisions of 2 p.m. or 7 p.m. on your last day, but nine hours after that published start of the contact period. Related to contact periods, there is the addition of one more daytime contact period. This may vary base to base, where sometimes they just offer P1 and P2 or P1, P2, P3, uh, but the company felt that there was a need for a third daytime contact period to help alleviate uh, the loss of the morning airport coverability for super senior or for uh, ready reserve pilots who would be at the airport for AM ready reserve. For example, if you had a sick call in the morning uh, that might not be able to be covered from a 5 a.m. P1 pilot in New York with a two and a half hour call out, but if the P1 shifted, which is within the company's control, uh, they can set that to whatever they want. Right now it starts at 4 a.m. I believe in Cincinnati and 5 a.m. in every other domicile. If they moved that to 4 a.m. in New York, that would get you a first day report of 6.30 a.m. instead of the current book 7.30 a.m. under that 5 a.m. P1. Uh, so by shifting some pilots earlier in the day, they wanted to have more late in day coverage, uh, hence the creation of a third contact period. Not all domiciles will see this. Um, it, it is company discretion as it is now in assigning P1, P2, and P3. Uh, but the current book P3 essentially becomes P4, and there's a third optional daytime contact period for our pilots. Um, if you're someone who lives in base, this early morning or late evening contact period might be very popular, and also depending, obviously, where your commute comes in from, uh, there can be benefits to that down the line as well. Uh, another large item, uh, Nick's hit on it numerous times, the six to 800, depending how many months you want to look back, whether it's five or six months into the past, uh, but we've had really a, a pretty insane number of uh, beyond company control uh, delays into a day off. That's the BYD provisions of 25I9. Uh, current book, what you see with a BYD is if you uh, experience one of these, you're receiving 150%, unless you're on a 200% trip, uh, and you only get a comp day through that if you return 
after 1700 in domicile time or if you have uh, lower than your Section 12E min days off. Uh, so the change that we're moving to this is that all BYDs would be 200% for all associated pay credits. And in addition, your second and beyond BYD, which there are pilots who had two or three in a month, and this will <laughs> resonate pretty well with you if you experience that, uh, your second and beyond BYD will still ensure that you get a comp day for it regardless of that 1700 in domicile provision. This is separate and stacking with your Section 12E comp day. Uh, so for example, a reserve pilot who is at their min days off, if they were BYD'd twice in a month, they would have a minimum of three and potentially four uh, comp days out of those two BYD events. So this is a significant um, makeup, so to speak, for this hit of quality of life of losing your days off. Obviously, what your seniority awards you, uh, you, you can't truly make up for in losing these days off, but we're hoping these strengthened protections for the BYD work rules uh, is a disincentive for those suicide run type flights where you are sent to an outstation while your return flight is already canceled, which was a, a rampant issue that our pilots experienced this summer. Uh, in addition to other um, guardrails, so to speak, on pilots' trips being modified, changed, uh, weak, weakened from what they were bid awarded on the line, uh, is the trip and duty rigs. This obviously, uh, in a perfect world, would be have all our trips built to a schedule function of a trip and duty rig. That's still a strategic objective of the MEC. But under the current book, it would only be for your actual values of the trip and duty rigs, what we were able to get in this negotiation was also the scheduled value of your trip and duty rigs. Uh, so that PBS awarded or FLICA showing uh, time away from base for your trip rig and your daily duty, uh, you would be protected to the actual or scheduled, whichever is greater. Uh, one good example of this is if you were on a trip that had 80 hours of time away from base, that would get you 20 hours under your trip rig. And say you were removed from the last two legs of your trip for whatever reason, uh, that might shorten you to where you're no longer receiving a trip rig under the current book, but under the new uh, provisions of scheduled or actual, this would pay protect you for that. So essentially the trip and duty rigs are now receiving pay protection. Uh, this change to the language to include the scheduled value will take place no later than June of 2023, and the duty rig is still on time for coming into June of 2023 uh, through LOA 131. The delay in this implementation, um, part of this offset was the retroactive wage rates that we would be capturing through this agreement. I don't really want to stumble down that rabbit hole too far, uh, so I will be shifting that off to Nick later on in this presentation. Um, but one, one trade-off for keeping this later implementation of the language change was to capture retro pay uh, for pilots at Endeavor. That uh, brings me to a wrap on my areas of the agreement in principle, and I'll turn it over to our executive administrator, Victoria. All right, Adam. Uh, so moving from there, uh, something else that the negotiation, thank you, negotiation committee uh, was able to accomplish was a same tail swap exception to the minimum connection time. Um, that means that if uh, for the minimum connection times, there will be an exception if you are staying in the same aircraft. However, our the <laughs> sorry. 
However, if uh, you do have to go through customs with an international flight, that exception will not apply. So the minimum connection time will still apply in that situation. Moving on from there, vacation synthetic credit, we were able to accomplish an increase from 21 to 24.5 hours of PBS credit that will be uh, implemented by 2025. And the reason for the delay is uh, primarily because an increase in synthetic credit would also increase our required headcount. And uh, that negates the company's goal to stabilize and grow. Um, furthermore, this puts us back into our pre-bankruptcy credit for vacation synthetic credit. Moving on from there, we also have LCP increases for pay. So for a non-lead uh, LCP, the pay increased from $30 to $65. And for lead FTIs, it'll be from $40 to $75. Now keep in mind these lead rates only apply to lead FTIs when uh, lead LCPs, when only performing lead activities pursuant to uh, Section 3U. Moving on to FTIs now, their uh, FTI monthly guarantee will be 115 hours per month. PCP is 120 hours per month, and APD is now 125 per month. In addition to that, dual qual um, FTIs will also remain, uh, will also keep their five hours per month of additional pay on top of that. Now, uh, keep in mind this is within the company's discretion. As we see a phase out of the uh, CRJ 200s, the dual qual uh, FTIs will also begin getting uh, emails from the company that will start uh, notifying them uh, that they will no longer be used uh, and will not need to continue their qualifications of the dual aircraft. Uh, lastly, we have captain pay rates. Um, this, so as of right now, currently captains are being paid at the completion of OE. The negotiation committee was able to accomplish that captain pay rate would start on the first day of upgrade training. Um, in addition to that, if you are uh, eligible for captain upgrade um, and you have 850 hours and you have opted into your retention program, retention bonus program, um, and you have your preferences set up where you would be available to take the first available upgrade, you will receive an email that gives you a 21-day opt-in window to start receiving captain pay at 850 hours. And uh, that leads me to the question of what happens if you're currently in training right now or if you have 850 hours upon the date of ratification. Uh, if you are currently a captain in training right now for upgrade training, you'll go ahead and start receiving captain pay at the date of ratification. In addition, if you have 850 hours at the date of ratification, you then will also be eligible, um, assuming you have opted into the retention program and you take the first available upgrade. Uh, moving on from there, the company did say that um, if you have 750 hours, you will get, start getting an email that allows you to opt in to the program starting at 850. So once you have your 750 hours, you'll get an email that will then tell the company um, that you have uh, opted into the retention program, at which point you will start being paid early captain pay at 850. Moving from there, uh, I do believe I'm going back to Nick, yep. unless I missed something. Nope, I think that, okay. covered, that covered it very, very well. So um, now, my, I just want to make sure, am I looking at that one? Perfect. So just want to make sure I'm looking at the right camera this time. So 
First of all, thank you, Victoria. It is not easy to sit up here, uh, especially when you're new, as new as you are. It is not easier, easy to sit up here and do this. The reason that Victoria is up here is because our negotiating committee chairman, Edward Norberg, who was supposed to be here, unfortunately has fell ill. And so he was not able to join us on the call today. But I know, in fact, he's been texting us. I know that he is watching, so that's uh, that's a really good thing. I want to say also a special shout-out to uh, Eddie Norberg. He will be leaving 30 days after I leave. He has been an absolute force on the MEC, uh, from grievance committee work to grievance committee chair to NC work to NC chair. He has provided a tremendous amount of value. You may not see his name and face everywhere, but I promise you, he has been, again, a juggernaut, a driving force behind what you guys have been able to enjoy out of the line. So if you happen to see him um, before he leaves or if you want to reach out, uh, please make sure that you uh, you do so. Also, I'd like to thank uh, Jade Shiwi, who's also not here. He's actually hunting, I think, in the mountains of Montana somewhere. Um, so he's probably not watching the call live. He's on a little bit of a vacation. But Jade has done an excellent job over the years as our MEC Secretary of Treasurer. And he's our new, uh, newly elected Executive Vice President for our B3 group at Alpa National. So I just wanted to send a, a couple little shout-outs of thanks there. So my job is to talk to you about uh, what, what are some of the items that the company wanted to achieve in this round of bargaining they were unable to achieve. And let's start, let's start there. So the company brought in a... I don't want to say a fairly extensive list. We've seen a fairly extensive list. Like in LOA 125, which is the flow agreement, they asked for like 24 things. Uh, they ended up getting, I think, one. Um, here, the, their list was far more targeted, but still, you know, we have to understand the macro environment that we're in right now and what some of the other agreements did and did not contain. One of the things that they were looking for right off the bat was non-seniority list instructor scope relief. And that's just not really an item that we're in a position to give uh, much latitude on. So we were able to successfully remove that. The other big item was direct contact. As you know, during LOA 125, they proposed that direct contact or they could contact the pilots via the iPad for schedule changes. This is something that we opposed during LOA 125 as it would have been wildly unpopular. We've opposed it ever since then and we opposed it here in this agreement. But I will tell you that it stayed on uh, on the company side of the ledger until the very, very end, which was a little peculiar. You know, we referenced the SkyWest agreement in which their top out rates went to 185 and they had direct contact. And there was such a visceral backlash and outcry by the pilot group that they ended up having to take the TA back before voting even occurred and redo some of uh, the parameters, including upping the, the top out captain rate, which we are going ahead of, and removing the direct contact piece. We just said we're not really in a position to be able to entertain direct contact without some guardrails on reroutes and reschedules. Company said we can't really do reroutes and reschedules because it goes right into headcount and staffing. And I said, okay, well then there we are. We're just not at the right time for that change. So that was removed. The company also wants to do some smaller Section 11 changes, which is really training and testing. Um, some of the changes are small. Some of them can have a little bit more tentacles or a little bit more magnitude. Uh, for example, one of the things that they wanted to us to explore was the idea of FTIs also being LCPs. And again, there's obviously a safety risk assessment that needs to be done. We need to bring the training and testing team in. We need to bring the safety team in. There's a lot of evaluations that need to be done before we even would entertain something like that. And given the scope as far as time frame is concerned, it just didn't really make sense to go down that path. Um, they also wanted to make some changes to the reserve duty days to allow when a pilot was going to be provided seat support um, in a pilot monitoring role for the reserve duty day to be a little bit longer. 
again, these are really small changes, um, but we just, in the in light of everything else that needed to be accomplished in the time frame that, that we needed to try to get it done, did it make sense to even spend any capital at that juncture trying to work through this? It really didn't. So what we said to the company was, we will entertain some of these changes. We'd like to understand why you need them. Um, are there alternatives uh, that maybe don't require any type of contractual latitude or gives? Um, and if there's not and there is a need, then let's talk about the quids that we want. But that needs to be in a separate negotiation. And so we're already looking at sitting down with a company the first week of December and starting to flesh out what that possibly could look like. Um, another item that they were looking for was a 500-hour first officer bonus. So they wanted to pay first officers um, a basically a bonus for achieving 500 hours at the airline. And we said, well, what again, what problem are you trying to solve? And what they were trying to address is the pilot that would go to the LCC, whether it's Spirit, Frontier, JetBlue. They wanted to try to entice them to stay here for their upgrade to captain by providing some sort of monetary benefit. And we said, great. But under the company you know, culture of we have to do everything the same for everyone, if you're going to pay a new hire um, pilot a bonus once they reach 500 hours, we should be paying all pilots a bonus. Um, immediately. And so our proposal was we can, whatever you want to pay this first officer, which I think was like $20,000, then everybody would get a $20,000 ratification bonus. And that pretty much removed it from their ask list very quickly. Um, they've also been looking for the last couple of negotiations to reduce our escalation pay. Our escalation pay from LCR to SCR is very lucrative and very good. We said, sure, we would be happy to start incrementally driving our escalation pay downwards. That's something that we, we could do. However, what we're trying to drive towards then would be a Delta long call reserve system where 100% of their pilots are on long call reserve. They don't have short call reserve. Yes, they can be escalated, I think, five or six times in a, in a given month. But in general, you don't start off the month on short call reserve. So we can start driving that down. Uh, as far as this escalation pay is concerned, but then we have to start driving our LCR percentage up. Again, the company cited headcount savings or headcount cost to them, and we said, well, we're not really in a position where we're trying to you know, reduce costs or save money here. We're trying to increase pilot benefits because that's what's going to attract and retain if you don't want to do a seniority and longevity-based system. So that one came out of it. Now, let's talk about the big elephant in the room, which is retro. So the reason that we haven't reached a tentative agreement at this point in time has everything to do with retro. And it has to do with a particular group of pilots that we would like to retro that the company is not looking to retro. So the company's position is upon date of ratification, any pilot here at DOR okay, would be retroed back to the October bid period, which starts September 30th. So all pay credits accrued by all pilots that are here at DOR would get retro pay. Our position is this is a different program. Retro look back on a rate is a different program than let's say the retention bonus, which is a forward looking program which you can opt into. A backwards looking program is for services that have already been rendered, okay? So our position is even if you have gone to another airline, whether it's Delta, United, American, FedEx, UPS, maybe you just left the industry, you still performed that work and that service for the enterprise, for Endeavor, for Delta, for the customer, for the revenue stream. And we think that you should be recognized for that. Part of the reason that we sought retro in this negotiation, even though we're not open and in Section 6, was in recognition of the fact that we spent seven months with pay rates that were 40 to 50% less than what our peers were getting in the industry. 
We had 800 days, awarded days off, lost in six months because of BYDs. We just had a very, very tough summer schedule, and getting a little bit of retro was recognition for that. And those pilots still walked through that hellfire and brimstone. So we still think that they should be recognized as well. And so we have a disagreement with the company right here on, on this topic. We have briefed the MEC. The MEC has given us our feedback. And I'm sure you're going to provide the same feedback to your MEC reps on what you think that they should do. But that is really the last piece that we have to solve before we're probably going to get uh, the rest of the way to final language. As far as the ratification process and timeline is concerned, I know there's been a lot of talk on you know Facebook group and through reps and darts. What process is the MEC going to follow? Obviously, it's up to the MEC. However, it is very, very likely that they are simply going to ratify this agreement as it is all upside and really no downside. And that is very consistent with the vast, vast majority of pilots that we have heard from in a variety of communication forums. Keep in mind that if we ratify these agreements, that's 135 LOAs in about 11 and a half years. And only two of them have ever gone out to membership ratification. MEC ratification is the normal process for Endeavor, and it is the normal process for the vast majority of airlines out there. That's why we always tell you, make sure you pay attention to LEC elections because they are the ones that are going to be voting on, ratifying, and evaluating these agreements on your behalf. So make sure that you stay involved on your LEC elections because they do, they are very important for that reason. I still think that we are on pace, um, especially through an MEC ratification, to look at some, some retro and get this uh, completed by the end of November, but we do have to solve that equation on how we are going to um, handle the pilots that will not have or have not or have already separated how are we going to handle them um, and that that remains to be seen and I think the MEC is looking for your uh, feedback and input on that topic as well so now it looks like we are ready for questions and so let me remind you on how we're going to do this you can email questions to the show on edv on air at alpha.org or you can text or call 612-662-9825. And we'll let you know when we go live, uh, or when we go live for those questions. We're gonna begin with a couple of email questions and then we will open up the phone lines uh, for your live questions. Remember, we're happy to cover any topics uh, beyond negotiations, beyond AIP, TA, just general MEC business. But please keep in mind that if you have a question, make sure that it's relevant to a large portion of the pilot group. If you have a very specific or unique scenario yourself, those inquiries are best uh, served just by contacting your LEC rep directly through the ALPA phone tree at 833-EDV-ALPA. All right, um, let's take the first question. Adam, would you like to, since I just got yeah. done with that brief, let's what, give throw you, the first give question you a uh, break there to drink the Coke. Yeah, refresh yeah. your palate. <laughs> The Alpa Kool-Aid, I guess you could say. Uh, first question is a email question from Atlanta 900 Captain uh, Parker Smith. Parker says, with turnover being a big problem in the company, can we expect a lengthy delay in the retro pay payments if we were to get them? Uh, he goes on to say, I've been waiting two months for a remedy payment because of payroll turnover. I would hope we all don't have to wait that long for this. I'm getting an indication. I was looking at the wrong camera there. Sorry. Um, nope. Oh, no? Okay, yeah, I'm getting pa yeah, passed back one. and forth here. <laughs> uh, so this is sort of a two-part question. I'm going to actually address the second part of the question first. 
in addition to being a LEC rep, I did also get uh, a good footing on my time with ALPA through the Grievance Committee. So this is an item that's fairly familiar and near and dear. I've taken a lot of fun phone calls from pilots who aren't super thrilled with how long a remedy payment may or may not be taking. Uh, there is absolutely a huge turnover right now on the company side of payroll. I believe our, our current grievance chair hasn't been sent the remedy payment sheet in several months now, meaning that these payments have been approved to go out to pilots. However, they've not actually been issued. Uh, this is something that we're troubleshooting. There is someone new, I believe, that Austin's working with on the company side to hopefully move these items along. However, we did also see a near record uh, time period of JCBA violations that resulted in a remedy payment. Um, for example, we had several hundred deadhead connection violations that that piled onto this. You got to go back to that. Oh, sorry. Uh, that piled onto this as well. Um, so that is an anomaly, uh, but that's a separate segment of the payroll that would be handling those for any of you who are waiting on a remedy payment right now from a pilot issue form. As far as the potential retro pay aspect. Uh, in the language that we've been passing back and forth with the company right now, uh, the way that it has been agreed upon up until this point is that your retro payment, should we be able to achieve one, would be paid no later than the December 16th regular payroll period. Um, so that's what's known as the first paycheck because it covers that first part of the December month and it would capture... Uh, not only your December pay rates at the new higher amount should this agreement be ratified from the TA that, that we're still working on, uh, but that would also cover any potential retro payments. So that will be a known quantity. We will have uh, language within this LOA or MOU uh, covering when that payment goes out, um, and that's not a lengthy delay or something that you wouldn't be getting um, it, in the same vein that people are experiencing, unfortunately, right now with the remedy process. Next question comes from the infamous group member. Uh, with Positive Space gone, why is it that we couldn't negotiate Positive Space without Delta getting it first? There are things that we have at Delta that Delta doesn't have. I feel like that was just placed on the Facebook group recently. Um, well, it's probably also a group member who placed it on the Facebook group. I don't know. I'm not sure it was group member. We'll see. Um, absolutely. I mean, great question. First of all, we do have a Me Too clause with... Um, the positive space commuting that was given to the Delta pilots. We enacted that through uh, LOA 91F. We were able to follow suit uh, with our own positive space commuting. Delta, and this is just Delta management's opinion, um, but I think it's one that most pilots are going to share. There probably is not a likely scenario, especially with something like positive space, because you're right, group member, there are some things that we have in our contract that Delta doesn't. We remind, um, we remind Endeavor and Delta that all the time and vice versa, but positive space travel has a really high level of visibility to it, and it, it's kind of somewhat of a religious and cultural issue, and there's not really going to be a scenario where they're going to provide it to their wholly owned subsidiary without providing it to the pilots of Delta. Um, that just strategically, when you're thinking about 2,000 pilots, or now less than that, probably less than 1,900, versus what, 14,000 pilots, that just really doesn't make good strategic sense to them. So they're not, they're not gonna be interested in doing something like that. Now, when they have hit us with that, well, you know, we can't do this because Delta doesn't have an argument, you know, we've, we've heard that a, a few times, 
you know, we've we've had to make some recommendations to them or some guidance to them. But yeah, but Delta has a lot of things that aren't in our contract. And one of the things at that point in time that we were discussing was door pay. You know, the company a few years ago was really pushing hard on latency. And we said, look, the easiest way to solve this, you get the latency numbers that you're looking for, we get to protect our pay. Let's just tie that our pay starts to main cabin door closure. And they said, yeah, well, we can't do that because Delta doesn't have it. And I said, well, great. Delta also has trip duty rigs. At that point in time, we didn't. They have a five-hour, 15-average midday. We have a four-hour hard credit, which in certain situations can be better, but most of the time it's not. And they get paid on marketing time, so we get paid on SAT time. So if we're comparing apples to apples, that's how you do it. Let's not, you know, squander a, a great opportunity here. Now, we en- we didn't end up getting to door pay, but we've heard those arguments before, and we have our rebuttals usually ready for that. So, um. And to be clear, when we say it's not something that we can capture because the Delta pilots don't have it, that's not us just sitting on our hands saying, okay. I guess we tried. <laughs> um, th- this is something we have broached with the company. This has gone up through Delta management, the top end of our management um, and they, they have said point blank, this is not an item that we can capture within our CBA outside of that Me Too language with Delta uh, if it's not an item that they can't get. So that that is legitimately the reason. It's not a, a matter of us not attempting to get that for our pilot group. Um, it's just a hard step or hard, hard locked what, what the company is willing and not willing to engage on from Delta Mainline. Um, and that's just one of those items. Uh, our next email question from New York 900FO, uh, Sneer Cohen. Uh, how does the timeline look to realistically accomplish everything to be completed by the end of the November bid period to trigger the uh, right. potential back pay? Um, I would say even still in light of uh, this language difference with the company, I would say it still seems favorable from that side by the end of November. Um, what we'd be realistically looking at for a timeline once this is turned into Uh, final TA language, and we have an agreement that goes uh, approved by the MEC as a TA and sent out to the pilot group for comment period, we'd be looking at realistically a business week or so prior to ratification. Um, The MEC convenement, that's a short turnaround. Uh, We need 24 hours notice essentially to convene a formal conference call. We would need a quorum with the MEC or a simple majority. Um, That aspect's easy. It's just leaving that at least you know, seven to eight day window or so uh, to have the formal comment period on the tentative agreement from the pilots. Um, Obviously, that's the point where please don't just post it on Facebook, even if you do feel very strongly about the agreement. Reach out to your reps and let them know what your thoughts are, Mm -hmm. um, because what tends to happen is we hear from a few isolated negative opinions or a few very strong opinions and then we're just left to have to figure out what happens for the other 1,750 pilots in between there. Um, there's pilots who've reached out and said, sign this thing yesterday, sign it a week ago. There's pilots who have, you know, same as you, Sneer, who are wondering what the timeline on this is. Once we have that final language presented to everyone as the TA, please do give that feedback to your LEC reps. That's what drives this entire process and keeps it on time. And just to add one other thing, too, remember, as Adam said, all we need is 24 hours to convene a conference call with the MEC to be able to ratify this. Now, that does assume that we're going to have enough members to have a quorum that are going to be able to attend, that aren't out there flying or doing other, other types of duty. But it, worst case scenario, if they are out there flying, then we buy turns or we buy you know, a day off of their trip to make sure that they are available. Um, I mean, that's, that is easily accomplished if that's what we needed to do. 
uh, in order to make sure that we have a quorum. So we still are on trajectory to get this done by the end of uh, November. Again, the biggest looming question is how are we going to handle the retro pay for the pilots that will have separated? You know, again, our belief is that this is a backwards looking program for services that have already been rendered. Uh, we believe that everybody should be treated equally, and that includes the pilots that have gone to either Delta United, American, FedEx, UPS, wherever you've gone. Uh, we believe that everybody should be treated equally, and that's what we're advocating for. Um, I think, uh, Victoria, you're going to take the next one? Yeah, Perfect. Sure. All right, so the next question that we have is from Detroit 200 FO. Am I good? Okay. Detroit 200 FO Samuel Diaz. He says, thanks for all you guys do. Have you been told if the company plans to shut down the CRJ 200 on a single realignment or will each base close on a different realignment? And correct me if I'm wrong, I'm still fairly new here, but um, from what I understand, I do believe the CRJ 200 will be closed on different realignments. The bases will be different realignments. Um, I think the last company um, communication that was sent was saying they wanted, they're, they're planning on having it closed by summer of next year. Um, does that sound about right? Yeah, June of 2023, and they haven't, you know, they haven't officially said one way or the other. But Victoria, I think you're right that when you're talking about, you know, scuttling or shutting down, you know, 10 airplanes, 12 airplanes in each domicile, that creates training events, and they want to make sure that they manage and mitigate those events because they still have to get upgrade trainings and new hires through there. So they're probably not going to do it all in a single re realignment. Um, they're probably going to do it over some multiple ones. But are they going to do something to? Detroit or Atlanta first, they haven't said that to yeah, us yet. I, I think you can probably look to Minneapolis 200 as an example. Obviously, that was on the smaller side as far as domiciles go. We really didn't know going into the realignment what that training footprint or training timeline would look like, but there was pilots who went into difference training, I think as soon in as two or three weeks out from the uh, closing of the final award. So the company does have that uh, ability to pull you off of that flying uh, to get you into training quicker. You can likely look at Minneapolis as a template on what, what will happen with the wind down on the other bases uh, or domiciles for that position, uh, but that's really just an unknown at this point in time. Um, likely that it would go across two separate realignments, but not, not information that's been shared with us up until this point. All right, looks like we have a caller in the queue, so we're going to go to the phone lines here. I believe that's me. Can you hear me? Yep, we got you loud and clear. Hey, uh, Paul, first is Benton Matthews, uh, New York 900 captain. First, Nick, thank you for all you've done, and I am very impressed with the uh, ratification and work from the beach with uh, <laughs> during your wife's birthday. So thank you to your wife as well. I will tell her uh, uh, thank you, Th and thank you for that. Absolutely, of course. Uh, can you explain a little bit on the uh, – language being talked about with the uh, early releases on reserve? Yeah, absolutely. So right now, the way the language is written is that on P1, you are released at 1400 and on P2, you were released at 1900. That doesn't really contemplate uh, the P1 and P2 start times being different because in my entire time here, they, they never have been different. Maybe once in a great while you might see P1 move up about 30 minutes to protect an early AM or earlier AM departure, but it's it's been very rare. And the, the reason it's been so rare is because of ready reserves. So since we were removing the ready reserves, which was the number one strategic priority of the pilot group, it was going to have a cause and effect where the company now needs to move P1 up even earlier. 
And so that's why we had to add in that uh, extra daytime contact period. Well, that also then puts into question our early release language, because if you're starting P1 now at 2.30 or 3 o'clock in the morning, getting released at 2 o'clock in the afternoon on your last day, you've already, been, you've already turned into a pumpkin. Um, and the way that we came up with the early release language to begin with was we just took a look at a 14-hour uh, assigned window, whether it's a contactability or original assignment, and we said, okay, let's back up from there. You know, most of the time you've got anywhere between an hour and 45 and two and a half hour call out, depending upon your domicile, 45 minute report time. How long does it take you to do a quick out and back? And we added all those things together and we said, look, about five hours prior to that 14 hour max duty day, you've really turned into a pumpkin on your last day. So that's how we came up with that nine hours. And that was that was actually several years ago when we moved it to the 1400 and the 1900 respectively. And so we just wanted to mirror that concept. But what we also really wanted to do was make sure, especially for a P1 pilot, that if you come into your domicile at 10 o'clock at night, you know, per the JCBA, you need 11 hours of rest. So you're not going to go back on call until 9 o'clock in the, the next morning. Well, we don't want you to be on call from 9 a.m. for another nine hours. So we wrote the language to make sure that your nine hour start time was from the start time that is published in the bid packet. So it would start at 3 a.m., even though you only went on call at nine. That way you could still get released at noon. Now, if the company calls you at 9 a.m. and says, hey, we have a flight for you that's gonna take you out and back and you're not gonna get back till 8 p.m., well, that's fine, that's legal because under the JCBA, they can use you right up until 23.59 on your last day. But if they don't have an assignment from, for you, your contact period at that point would be 9 a.m. to noon, and then the early release provisions would apply. Does that make sense? Yes, absolutely. Thank you. You're very welcome. That's all I got. Thank you all. Hey, take care. All right, just as a reminder, if you'd like to join the queue, 612-662-9825. Press star 1 to ask questions. And it looks like we're going back to emails and texts. Want to do this one? Yeah, this Perfect. is a uh, multi-part question, so I'll, I'll get through it. One, two, and three here. Uh, emailed in from New York 900 First Officer Curtis Lydiard. Uh, question one, or part one, is how will the new TA affect those of us that want to opt into the retention bonus when we upgrade a captain? Uh, essentially, if you are currently a first officer um, and you have surpassed at this point in time the 750 hour mark you would immediately receive during um, I believe as we have it written right now is within five business days of the signing of this uh, eventual letter of agreement there would be a special run of a 121 hours report wherein the company would uh, reach out to those pilots who have the flight time and they would have the opportunity at that point to start receiving their captain pay early, as well as opting in in tandem with receiving that captain pay early, you would be opting into the captain upgrade and retention bonus program. Conversely, because this question doesn't quite go clear on which way it's asking, if you're saying if you don't want to opt in as a first officer, what, what protections do you have? Uh, that'll be treated the same as right now, and we have language for that, wherein uh, if you choose to not opt in as a first officer, your opt-in opportunity is still protected once you upgrade to captain. And that will be uh, under current LOA 130, you have within 14 days from the completion of OE to opt in. 
uh, sorry, no, it is 21 days after completion of OE to opt in, mm -hmm. uh, with the first payment coming 14 days thereafter. Uh, under the new revision to this language, it'll still be 21 days after uh, completion of Captain OE, and the first payment instead moves to 21 days after that point. Uh, or if you've opted in as a first officer, it also comes 21 days after completion of Captain OE. Uh, unrelated, I guess we didn't even cover that earlier, but the, the move from this very first payment going 14 days to now 21 days is because the language also says it'll be within the first regular pay period. Um, and there, there reaches a point, I'm a case in point example of that I finished my OE on the last day of the bid period, uh, which also was the day before the next month started. Payroll would have had no physical possible time to get that bonus check turned around to be paid out the next day with the regular paycheck. Uh, as the language is written now, they had to bank that payment within 14 days, which fell before the next pay period, and they had to authorize a special check. Really, this was just a, a slight move for, I guess, company ease of payment distribution, uh, but that is essentially unchanged for all intents and purposes. If you're a current FO, you have no interest in signing up for first available upgrade to get that captain pay a little bit sooner and get that bonus locked in. Uh, it, it does absolutely not matter in the long run scheme of things because you can still opt in upon completion of OE. Uh, that was a little long-winded, but I think I got it across at the tail end there. Uh, how will trip and duty rig be affected? Uh, we did touch on that a little bit earlier. The short breakdown on that is that the duty rig implementation time is still staying at June of 2023. Uh, as Nick said, there was a couple avenues we looked at it, maybe having that be a little bit sooner. In lieu of that uh, came the retro aspect. And in addition, June of 2023 is the trip and duty rig uh, both becoming essentially pay protected, but in simpler terms, scheduled or actual, whereas right now it's only your actual trip and duty rig. Third part to this question, what is currently being considered to those that can't commute home due to oversold and overbooked flights, taking away days off now that positive space is gone? Uh, really, the short answer is there's not anything in the hopper for that. Uh, prior to the pandemic, there was not any protection whatsoever outside of a alternate deadhead at the end of your trip uh, to protect that go-home commutability. Obviously, there's some other tentacles in the contract, such as your auto-release language that gives you a better attempt at getting on a flight home earlier, uh, protections such as the junior assignment extension BYD language uh, in, in protecting your original trip hour period. Um, but we did not have anything contractual prior to positive space or anything in the works as far as getting you home from your trip. Um, as far as a negotiation standpoint, uh, it hasn't came up at the table, but it would be an incredibly expensive item on the wish list because the company has a lot more value from you as a pilot in getting you to work than getting you home from work. That's a little bit of a cold or corporate take, but uh, that, that is really sort of the nature of commuting within this job. Um, and I'm sorry that I don't have a more positive answer towards that part of the question. All right, the next question is from Detroit 900 First Officer Chris Engelhart. Why didn't we see any improvements to the 401k? 3% match is extremely low compared to other large companies. That is true. We advocated for additional 401k improvements. You saw a lot of 401k improvements come through the pipeline uh, by other carriers. But just keep in mind that our overall 401k, and I mean, yes, you can sharpshoot maybe particular tiers and say, well, the first year tier at this property is 4% or 5%, so it's a little bit better. But overall, our 401k has been 
has kind of led the fee-for-departure industry. When you also take a look at the fact that now we're doing 3% on a permanent rate, that can also pay dividends that are much higher than 4% on a lower rate. So you have to take that into consideration. One of the 401k improvements that we have been most interested in um, and we've been trying to get for quite some time is something called a safe harbor plan. Now, you guys probably really don't know what a safe harbor plan is, so let me just kind of walk you through it. We have to pass what's called discrimination testing every single year in our 401k plan. If we don't pass discrimination testing, then some monies from the highly compensated employees get returned to them out of their 401k, becomes a taxable event, and if you're trying to find tax shelters, that's never a good outcome. So what is a highly compensated employee? Well, I don't remember what the, the number is anymore off the top of my head. Carl, do you remember what it is? Or? The IRS says the HCEs, it was 120000 but the HCE level is, I think, a little higher now. Anyways, it's irrelevant. Whether it's 120, 30, 40, what they do is they take a look at the deferral rates and the amount of monies by the HCEs versus the non-HCEs, and there cannot be more than a 2% spread. If there is more than a 2% spread, they have to re uh, take money from the HCE group and return it to them to get back to that 2%, and that's discrimination testing. One of the ways that you can avoid that is to go to a safe harbor plan. And the way you go to, the way you execute on a safe harbor plan is you just do a 3% match at a baseline. It can be more, it can be less, excuse me, not even 3% match, a 3% direct contribution, which is different than a 3% match because they're simply putting money into your 401k whether you put money in it or not. Now, 3% is just the baseline level. It can go higher. It can tier up higher. You can have a 3% DC and a match. So one of the things that we proposed in this round of bargaining is let's do a 3% match, just trade. We're not looking to necessarily add any value, but just trade the current tiers, 3% of each of those tiers for a DC. And then, then we create a safe harbor plan, and then we never have to worry about discrimination testing. We got the line that we expected from the company, which was, but if we do this for the pilots, we feel like we have to do it for everybody. <laughs> and our line has always been, we're the collective bargaining agent of the pilots. If you feel a corporate need to treat everybody the same, then that's, that's on you, but we're not going to pay for it at the table. We're not going to cost that out. Um, we just really couldn't quite get there. And at the end of the day, again, like I said before, we're talking about more 401k dollars into our pockets simply because we are increasing your rates anywhere between you know, 40 and 50% on average. For some new hire pilots, it's, it's a double. So that's why we decided that uh, we'll live to fight another day on the 401k. I can. You want the flow yeah. calculator? Yeah. Okay. Uh, it's all you. <laughs> always a fun topic. Uh, we have an email from Atlanta Tuner Captain Bill. Um, I'm not sure if this is specky species. Sorry, species, if I'm pronouncing that wrong, sorry. Uh, can you please give an update on the accuracy of the flow calculator? Uh, the very short answer would be to uh, inquire with your base management on that avenue instead. Uh, the flow calculator, when it was initially proposed by the company, uh, they wanted the ALPA badge of support, so to speak, on it as well. Uh, we did not have an interest on this because unless you can guarantee contractually that those pilots will be going within that window, uh, then it's us not putting out accurate information as an association. Um, there are many pilots on property, myself included, who when you look at that number, it gives something ranging from very optimistic to pretty far out there. Um, for example, pilots hired a year after me, 450, 500 numbers junior, are supposed to be flowing two months after me. Um, I 
Granted, I did actually take math twice in college, but that still doesn't quite add up as far as the calculator goes. Uh, it, it really is sort of a tool from the company's inventory to show the picture that they want to show to pilots. Um, there are some other properties where their association has some form of calculator in it, um, but without getting those protections for our pilots, for example, if the company could guarantee us 40 pilots would be flowing a month indefinitely, we would absolutely sign on and say, yeah, put your number in, divide by 40, we're all about it. Um, but as it stands now, it's not something that we wanted directly to be a part of. You say college, but Doogie Hauser here is actually still in high school. I mean, look at him. Yeah, 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 Nick. Uh, from the estimated months, it says you flow until the actual time you may flow, or basically how much longer is it from what the calculator says. Uh, from a very conservative standpoint, if you took your number minus maybe about 160 to 180 and divided by 20, that is your realistic flow point should things uh, slow down, whether that's through the retention program, the new higher wage rates. Um, really, that's all the more of a firm answer that we can provide to people. Um, obviously, attrition trends, if they continue how they are, you'll, you'll see quite a bit more movement faster than that. Um, but that number that they publish is what the company predicts your seniority number range will be. And of course, right now they are exercising their uh, LOA granted right to hold back pilots for three months. Um, so they do have a little bit of additional windfall on that. For example, I believe if the calculator says your seniority range is January to March, that would actually mean you would leave the company April to uh, June. So we, we can't take a more official stance on it than that simply because we, we can't verify the information as well. All right, looks like we're back to uh, phone. I think you're supposed to say you're on air with the chair. I'm waiting for Derek to point at me. Oh, you're on air with the chair. Hey, hey is that me? David Roche, Detroit guy. Uh, question, and this might show that I wasn't paying attention earlier. <laughs> to increase recruiting for the company, uh, how much can the company offer a new hire uh, or an off-the-street um, uh, captain or anybody separate from the pilot group as a whole? How much can they offer for a, a new hire bonus uh, to, to attract uh, people uh, by paying them uh, something separate from what they pay uh, the rest of the pilot group? Can you expand on that for Yeah, me? no more than they could before we entered into this round of negotiations, which is a max of $40,000. So getting control of the new hire bonus was something that strategically was very important to us and we did during LOA 71. There's been some incremental improvements to that. Company gained a little bit more latitude in LOA 91. They gained a little bit more latitude in LOA 130, 131. But we've maintained um, that they're not going to get, and they've repeatedly asked us, full unfettered access to a new hire bonus. We're just, we're not interested in going down that pathway. A, we're not going to let them um, turn our pay scales upside down. B, we're not going to let them solve their hiring problems in perpetuity. As you guys have so often heard me say on several of these calls, it's not what you always what you get in an agreement, but it's what you set yourself up for in the future. So getting contractual control of that new hire bonus has strategically served us extremely well. There have been other properties that uh, have not gotten control of that bonus, and you can see some, some outsized bonuses being offered to new hires while current pilots um, kind of languish as far as contractual benefits and negotiations are concerned. So they don't have any more latitude uh, today than they had uh, at the 
ratification point of the retention agreement in LOA 130 and 131. And specifically with that uh, dollar amount of that 40000 the amount above 20000 uh, if it's given to a direct entry captain, there is some uh, additional clawback, so to speak, provisions where they have to have a one-year service requirement as a direct entry captain for the monies received over the $20,000 amount. Uh, so what we've commonly seen with the new hires still is uh, a 1500 hour or no prior airline experience uh, new hire is receiving 10000 right now is what the company has been doing uh, with someone with a mix of 121 time receiving about 20000 and then those who are direct entry captain qualified getting the full 40000 um, and this was not a uh, dollar amount that we wanted to move on. I think they did ask for some further latitude, um, but as Nick said, we would rather see those dollars go across the board to everyone uh, under the JCBA and not just a pilot who's not yet on property. Mm -hmm. Frankly, I'm, that kind of surprises me. Uh, I kind of, I'm obviously, I'm very interested in the pilots who are on the property right now, just like you are. Thanks for protecting us. But uh, is this? Uh, I almost think the company needs to be able to do that. Do they have any plans, or are they trying to uh, come up with any anything additional? Uh, to be able to do that? What's, the, what's their position on this? So let's think about it strategically. If we didn't have control of that new hire bonus, do we think we would have seen a $110,000 retention bonus? I mean, maybe, because their problem is twofold. It's both acquisition and retention. Um, so maybe we still see that. But if they needed to, do we also think that maybe we were going to see some of these rates that have happened in this industry? Probably not if they have unfettered access to the new hire bonus. I mean, I think you need to take a look at GoJet. Before the pandemic, I think GoJet was offering oh, like something 110, like 110,000. Yeah. yeah, I mean, just insane numbers. And so they were just trying to power, the, power their way through it just by uh, providing new hire benefits. We've always maintained that um, you also have to protect the pilots that are here. That is a very, very important component to any agreement, any deal. Now, also keep in mind, too, that while we're focused on getting new hires inside the door and we think retention has is, is helped, we think this agreement is certainly going to move the needle. The company has maintained that their classes are full, and their classes are full for six months out. Now, whether we actually believe that or not, I mean, that's a, that's another story. The reason that the numbers have gone lower uh, recently and that they're onboarding roughly maybe 35 to 40 pilots a month instead of more pilots is to balance the captain staffing. Uh, their, their idea is it doesn't really matter if we bring in 70 or 80 first officers. In fact, that could be detrimental because we still need to get those first officers 1,000 hours before they can upgrade. And if we have a, a surplus of FOs, it just means that the hours that are available get spread out uh, even thinner, and it delays their captain upgrade. So that really is the reason why you're seeing a softening of, of the new hire classes at this point. All right, so the, really the company, uh, and you agree, you see the fact, or you see what they're telling us, uh, they don't really have a big need uh, to recruit on with uh, cash? Correct. Not from upfront cash um, through, obviously, the contractual changes. And then even if there's a little bit right. of cash that gets you in the door, you are still able to opt into that $110,000 retention program. Um, likely what we might see down the avenue as recruiting tactics shift in the future if they wanted to lower that on-property amount and try and give us some contractual gains to increase that new hire bonus temporarily that might be an avenue to go down um but it's it's not just pay rates that you're seeing in the industry right now and getting pilots in the door um it's that in combination with work rules uh it's very very visible at the legacy level right now where you see 
some pretty hefty pay increases being uh, sort of turned down or their noses turned up towards from these mainline properties because for six years now they've been asking for improved work rules on top of that. Um, so it, there, there's other pieces to the puzzle that the company uh, would have an appetite in fixing, and they, they aren't actually even using their full mm-hmm. amount, and I don't believe they have since LOA 91. They've they had the had. ability to offer a new hire 20000 for the last uh, five and a half years, and they haven't gone above ten. In fact, they pulled it back to 5000 post-pandemic for a short period of time. Um, so that, that doesn't really seem to be the driving issue on getting people in the door or the driving uh, solution to an issue in getting people in the door. It's uh, sort of those other bigger pieces of the puzzle. All right, interesting. Well, thanks for taking the question, and thanks for doing all we've done to get us to where we are now. Have a good night. Absolutely. Yeah. You too. Take care. You too. You're on air with the chair. Hey, what's going on, guys? Uh, my name is Mitch. I'm at Detroit 900FO. And, of course, just want to start off with saying a big thank you for all that you guys done and wish you the best at Delta, Nick. Thank you. I, my question is uh, kind of a two-part one that involves uh, an FO uh, who may have not opted in for the retention bonus when the initial retention offer came out and then also one who has opted in. Uh, I guess I'll just start off with the easy one is to say that uh, if an FO has opted in for the retention bonus and decides to do the 850 early hour pay, is there any additional caveat to taking that or is it still just uh, the uh, first available upgrade? Uh, That part of the language is unchanged. So a pilot, or I should say specifically a first officer who has already opted into the captain retention program they are still going to be kept under the current language of uh, requiring that first available upgrade, but you will be automatically given the 850-hour point, uh, the early captain pay. When we were brainstorming through how to craft the language for this, we, we threw out a number of different scenarios, and I, we really couldn't come up with one where a pilot would have already opted in for the first available upgrade for that $20,000, but not want to start receiving captain pay early. Um, there, there just wasn't really one that we could think of. So in light of that, the language that's created says that anyone who has already opted in, since you are already taking that first available upgrade, you will, you will automatically be given uh, the captain pay as a first officer at the 850-hour mark. And remember, because we're not changing the point in which you receive that retention payment, that still doesn't come until completion of OE. There's no you know, additional steps that you have to, to jump through as far as repayment requirements and getting your dues dollars back from membership at Alpha National. There's none of that. If you decide to uh, take that, you're, you're not harmed in any way because your, your next payment still doesn't come until completion of OE. So really there's no detriment on yeah, that the, side. Yeah, the terms you entered into the agreement with haven't changed, and so this early captain pay as a first officer is just sort of uh, gravy on top, yeah. maybe is a way to put it. And then what was the uh, second part yeah. of your question? Sorry. Um, so uh, from the perspective uh, as an, from an FO who has not taken the uh, retention or has um, is maybe waiting until they have the available hours to decide, you mentioned earlier that the in the future that the company will have control of the amount um, of the retention that may be adjusted. So in terms of uh, being grandfathered in, I guess what I'm asking is 
if an FO, let's say, doesn't um, may look to upgrade in August, and the company has decided to re- reduce the retention bonus of, uh, for some reason, um, are they grandfathered in, or are they subject to the to the amount that the company is um, the new amount that the company would be at? Yeah. So. Of, uh, I, I think I'm tracking on what you're saying. So, for example, if you uh, say in the next month you pass your 750 hours, uh, you opt into not only the captain pay, but the or the early captain pay, but the captain upgrade retention bonus. At that point in time, you're entering in an individual agreement with the company, and that will specify the dollar amounts of that program. Uh, and so. Even though you've not yet upgraded, done your OE, uh, received that first payment, you would be uh, paid under the terms of when you opted in. Uh, conversely, uh, if at that 750-hour mark you decided, no, I, I don't want to go sit reserve in New York. I'm going to wait for my preferred domicile, opt in after upgrade. Um, at that point in time, if the amount was lowered, it's, it's the dollar amount of when the program is being advertised. So that is a benefit, I guess, to the unknown. If you're a first officer now with more than 750 hours, you would be locking in that dollar amount of the bonus, so to speak, for your two years of captain service. Um, but that's sort of not not known what direction staffing and uh, retention will look like down here or down the line at this airline. Yeah, and I'll just say real quick that uh, I don't think there's any possibility in the near term that they're going to look to lessen this. They still need all hands on deck they need to retain as many captains as they can, which will allow them to hire as many first officers as they can, which will allow them to stabilize and grow. I think they just asked for this so that they had flexibility in the future as to when they get right-sized on their staffing. If we still don't need to offer 110000 can we have some latitude to bring it down? Yeah, if, if this were something that happens three or four years down the line, that's a significant shift of the uh, the fee-for-departure industry. I, I really couldn't even take a stab at what the industry might look like in five years. Um, so it's fairly reasonable that they would want those uh, potential protections and lowering that dollar amount. But this isn't something that we foresee in the near future coming into play. All right, guys. Well, I uh, appreciate you answering my questions. And again, I uh, wish nothing but the best. Thank you for your time. Thank, Thank you. you. Appreciate it. You're on air with the chair. Hey, guys. This is Atlanta 900 Captain Peter Merrill. Uh, I think I might be odd man out on this. But for ready reserve, was there any discussion for modification as opposed to eradication? So basically, potentially trying to come up with a system maybe where we reduce the amount of time available from, say, eight hours to four hours, and we maybe attach something to it like a on top of guarantee basically for all ready reserve periods? I will answer that question by saying yes and yes. You may be the odd man out, though I don't think you're going to be completely alone in that. So there, there will be some pilots that will be standing with you on it. Um, and yes, there were a lot of other things that we have looked at over the years internally, including let's reduce the number of hours that a pilot sits. Let's give uh, a benefit pay on top of guarantee for each shift or after you hit a number of shifts. Uh, we looked at a bunch of different concepts. I'll tell you exactly why we landed where we landed, and it's a very easy and short answer. The survey results that we did prior to entering into this negotiation were very consistent with survey results that we have received in the past, and the number one ask by the pilot group, overwhelming ask on the, ready, or on the reserve side, is the complete elimination of ready reserve. 
And so that's why when we had a chance to achieve it, we did, because that was what the pilot group asked us to achieve. Now, in that, yes, we also wanted to keep voluntary ready reserve, especially on the super seniority side on the front and back for increased in commutability, especially in light of the positive space travel going away. Um, as Adam had said, the, the problem that we ran into, the company was saying, well, we're not really interested. I mean, we'll, we'll have it as an option, but we're probably not going to use it much because we want paired crews and we can't predict when we are going to have captain, first officer, and probably captain, first officer, and flight attendant. So we're not sure if we're going to really use it much. And our response was, you know, respectfully, you've basically shoved it down the pilot's throats for 11 years, and you've assigned ready reserve even when you haven't had paired crews. If all of a sudden you take this stance because it's a benefit to the pilot for commutability purposes, you'll have absolutely no credibility. And they looked at that and they said, yep, you're right, and so we're just going to remove ready reserve in its entirety, and that's why it has been removed from the system. It's really not a useful okay, benefit yeah. if, if you could volunteer for it, but you had no guarantee on whether or not it would get a approved or not because you're realistically you might be bidding for different sets of days off based on commutability a different contact period um, whereas if they had the option to award it but didn't think they were likely to assign any super seniority that would just be leaving far too much up to guess um, and, and signing up for something that you didn't know the terms of yeah no that, that totally makes sense uh, I guess that was my only hope for it was that the uh pilot group would be open to a, a modification of it so that scheduling could still retain control, but then we could get reduced hours and then get the pay. But uh, I think eradication is, I understand why most of the group wants that. Sure. And, and you never know what could happen in the future. I mean, maybe we, maybe the company hit some operational hiccups and they ask us for some latitude on that. And I think if we ever, if we were to ever entertain, if the pilot group were to ever entertain uh, something like that, uh, it would come with a heavy price tag. And maybe there's a lot of benefits in, in doing that, but certainly we wouldn't go back to the old system because it just, the vast majority of pilots just absolutely despised it. Yeah, I uh, totally understand. All right, thanks. Appreciate it. Thank you. No problem. Take care. You're on air with the chair. Hello, John Cashbearer here. <laughs> hey, John, how you doing? Atlanta 200. Atlanta 200 FO for the for the time being. Nick, you've already done a pretty good job of explaining this to me via email. You're you're really really good at that, and I appreciate your time. But I'm just I'm in that uh, boat where I came here with a lot of previous 121 time, and I'm trying to help a buddy come here with the same amount of time and he's going to get highly rewarded with longevity, mm -hmm. mostly vacation and, and pay. I guess those would be really the only two items that matter. And he's going to have five years advantage on me for <laughs> pay and vacation. But okay. You explained that very well and I'm very happy with your explanation, but now I find out we are fighting for retro pay for pilots who have left the property. I don't get the, the uh, difference and the logic um, between fighting. I'm still here, mm -hmm. and we're not fighting to get me that long that longevity that a new hire DEC direct entry captain is going to have. I just don't. I don't. I don't get the uh, the difference in the logic. Well, I wouldn't quite go as far as saying we're not fighting for that. Um, it's interesting that you called it, and it's it's interesting that you brought this up because we have made. 
I'll just be very honest with Pilot Group. We've made a variety of proposals to try to bridge this gap, and one of the, one of the things that we are at least looking at is can we do any type of retro on it? John, when were you hired? Uh, October 2017. October 2017. Okay. So typically why we haven't retroed items like that for new hire pilots, we haven't retroed bonuses or anything like that, is in general most MECs view this as you came in under the current terms and conditions and benefits that were offered at the time. If those terms and conditions and benefits change, all right, then that is just a change in the industry or a change in the agreement. They don't usually go back and apply that to everyone um, that previously had come onto the property because where do you draw the line? I mean, I could take a look at myself and I came here in 2011 and I was never offered a new hire bonus. So where do we draw the line? And typically in negotiations, what you're really doing is you're exchanging maybe some latitude to for the company to attract new hire pilots in exchange for getting increased benefits here for the pilots that are currently residing at Endeavor. Is it a perfect system? Absolutely not. I, I will fully admit that it is not a perfect system, but it is the one that has been able to provide us uh, a, a very, very good amount of value. Now, I also view the retro a little bit different because we're talking about, again, not a bonus or some longevity credit. We're talking about a rate for services that were rendered to the company. And one of the things that I think makes this a little a little unique, and again, it's not that we're not trying to fight for some maybe some back longevity or to take a look at pilots in your particular situation, because I'm just going to be frank, we actually are looking at that. Will the company agree? Who knows? But I think one of the things that makes it a little bit different is the fact that we're trying to recognize the fact that we fell behind the industry for seven months, and retro is supposed to account for a little bit of that loss. Now, Ideally, we'd like to go all the way back for the entire seven months. But because we're not in Section 6, because the contract isn't open, that is a tough bridge to, to uh, build. And so we're just trying to take what we were able to achieve, which was at least some level of retro. Um, I don't know if that's fully going to address your, your uh, concern here, but I do want to say that it is something that we're currently looking at right now. Well... It's just we're picking and choosing what retro we're fighting for. In one case, we are fighting for retro. Yeah, no services were rendered, but those pilots left. They're gone. They're off the property. They're not your concern. I'm on the property. Mm -hmm. I'm your concern. I'm your baby. I'm your teddy bear. Don't <laughs> stick a knife in me. <laughs> I'm not the one that sticks knives in teddy bears, John. I, yeah, I think you have all the exclusive rights to the you teddy do. bear stabbing. I, I think you got page. a trademark on that, John. <laughs> Well, I'm serious. I mean, I know I'm joking, but at the same time, I'm serious about it. It's it's like, wait a minute, we're fighting for and we're delaying this action over retro pay for pilots who have already left the property and, and in most cases gone on to greener pastures. And, yeah, I understand the services rendered and such, but I'm on the property. It's, it's also a little bit I, – I hear what you're saying. It's also a little bit of a slippery slope, and that's all I'm going to say about it. It's also a little bit of a slippery slope when we start talking about a backwards-looking program on a rate. It is a, it's a, a But we're doing that for the pilots who have already left the program. We're, we're doing that – we're fighting that exact same fight for pilots who have already left. No, I understand the semantics. Like how far back do you go? I, yeah, and I absolutely understand the semantics of it. And again – your particular situation is something that we're looking at and we're seeing, you know, we're seeing if we can bridge that gap here. And that, I mean, it's an ongoing negotiation, so I don't want to give too much information out on a, a live call over it, but it is something that we're looking at. All right. Well, I, I appreciate that. And so does Teddy Ruxpin. <laughs> appreciate it, John.
All right. See you. Take care, bud. And we have another caller. How's it going, guys? Truman Stewart, uh, Detroit captain on the 200 for now. Um, my question for <laughs> you guys ominous. is: Yeah, display displaced the 900 in New York. Not not super thrilled, but uh, do we have a dollar amount for how much the new hire, the retention, the increased pay costs the company per year? And do we have a number, uh, a dollar amount? that they thought seniority without longevity would cost them or yeah i guess that's my first part do we do we have the numbers of what it what this all is going to cost them per year I, I would say maybe yes but not necessarily publicly on what the company would disclose on on that number um from a pilot math or napkin math standpoint if you I, I'm not giving the official number from it, but if you ran the number of what the $50 to $60 an hour payroll increase was, multiply that by the uh, 83 average hours a month times 1,900 pilots times eight more years in the JCBA, seven more years in the JCBA, it's it's not a insignificant sum of money paired with the, I think it was $220 million over uh, the initial two years of the bonus program, which now runs in perpetuity with the contract. Um, that is to say that it, in light of that large sum of money, uh, Delta Management still viewed this as the less expensive option from a advanced seniority or seniority longevity accrual system. Yeah, and I think, Truman, what you're talking about is how much would a seniority um, system cost? Because I think it's pretty clear what a longevity system would cost. Um, keep in mind that it's really hard to quantify a seniority-based system because if you accrue seniority here, it really is going to come down to what your preferences are and your seniority can hold when you get over there. And you know, maybe your seniority could hold wide body captain the moment you walk over there, but you still choose the 717 in Detroit. And it comes down to pilot bidding preferences. So it's really hard to quantify that number. Correct. From a seniority perspective, I don't think Delta's concern is the number. I think their concern is a new hire Endeavor pilot sitting in indoctrination class with three, four, five years of seniority. And the military pilot who just got to Delta is sitting there with one day of seniority. That is really more of their concern on the, on the cost side, um, and, or excuse me, yeah, on the seniority side. And it's unquantifiable, yes. really, on what that potential turnoff for those pilots. Um, even if, from a rationability standpoint, if you're hiring 200 pilots in a month, what, what does this 20 a month from Endeavor really cost you compared to the 180 other pilots that you're attracting. Um, but it's enough of an unquantifiable number that Delta management still doesn't want to engage on it at this point. Um, by no means does that close the book on it. Um, obviously, with, with this tentative agreement being reached, hopefully in the near future, uh, that sets a new stake in the ground for where the fee-for-departure industry sits. Uh, this brings us up to the rates. It meets or exceeds other properties and bonuses. Um, removal of ready reserve is something that a lot of other properties uh, do not have right now in their CBAs. SkyWest even wasn't a full removal. They can still assign you ready reserve in the event of a cancellation on reserve. So this does really set a new 
bar for the fee-for-departure industry, and, and I think all of us are going to be very curious how the rest of the industry reacts to this. Uh, when our bonus program came out, it was very short order that we saw the American Holy Owens hit that new, uh, now eclipsed pay rate, um, and I, I don't believe whatsoever does this close the book on seniority and longevity. Uh, it's just not necessarily in play through this, uh, or, or able to be in play through this round of negotiations. Gotcha. Yeah, I uh, I don't think it will either. I don't, I don't think this works because even I'm debating leaving. I just got a, a CJL, so um, it's I, I don't. Hmm. It's frustrating when yeah, we're we're all thinking like it, the, but the like other side's not the, seeing it. Yeah, because I would have taken if if the Delta would have said here, if you take a twenty percent pay cut, we'll give you a seniority number. I'd say where's the dotted line? Mm-hmm. I'll. I'll I'll drive to Atlanta right now and sign that. So, um, you know, because it's not that they're hiring military guys. I know plenty of, you know, one-year, two-year envoy FOs who are now on a 767. So I don't think they'll ever run out of people. I don't think it'll cheapen their brand. And I think they're just throwing money out there, and I'd like to see what that actually looks like. But that's super oddly specific, so thanks for answering it, guys. Yeah, I, I don't disagree at all, um, and it, it is a little frustrating from that side when the engagement answer is sometimes, well, we don't want to. Um, you know, that's not great bargaining, um, and we, we sort of aired that grievance through Nick's chairman letter uh, in August and September, and ultimately it did drive us to the point where we are now that we can at least engage on some of that short-term monetary compensation. Yeah, they love that letter. It, it went over swimmingly, yeah, down <laughs> in the C-suites. All right, thanks, Truman. See ya. All right, if you want to get into the queue, please dial in 612-662-9825 and press star 1. We're going to move back to email and text questions for now, and I think the next one Victoria is going to take. All right, so we have an email from Detroit 200 Captain Benjamin I'm. I'm sorry (laughs) that's probably wrong the only question I have is about how the company is gaining the ability to flex down the retention bonus my concern is if they have the ability to reduce the bonus for pilots that have already opted into the program if the company reduces the retention bonus are pilots who are already enrolled in the program going to lose their bonus or would it only affect pilots that enroll in the program after the reduction so if I understand this correctly, I believe you're asking if you have opted into the retention bonus and subsequently the company decreases that bonus, you would actually be uh, grandfathered into the retention bonus that you signed uh, prior to that reduction. Um, the only effect that wouldn't apply in this situation here, if they did reduce it and then later um, increase it, those that opted into the program during the reduction would actually have to be trued up to the new um, opt-in bonus. Yeah, it's kind of the best of both worlds. You never can go down, but you could go up. Mm-hmm. But you are grandfathered. If, if you opt in and then they reduce it, you are grandfathered into that, uh, that um, higher rate. All right, moving on. Uh, Detroit Niner Captain uh, Nicholas Hall says one, uh, two-part question I should say, part one regarding the company having the ability to flex the retention bonus amount up or down, at what point can they change the current terms? I believe that was six, yes. 60 days notice to the association, um, so that obviously provides time for us to 
make that information distributed to pilots on property who have not yet had the opportunity to opt in. Uh, and the second half of this question, similar to the last one, for pi uh, those that have already opted in, are they entitled to the amount they agreed to when signing? 100% yes. Uh, you are, uh, the easiest word to describe it is grandfathered in to that version of the program. Uh, so for anyone on property right now who has opted in, that's the $110,000 format. Uh, under that same hypothetical from the intro briefing, if they lowered it down in a, a year to uh, 50000 and then they later decided to move it up to 80000 any of those pilots who had opted in under the 50000 track would need to be trued up for their total monetary amount under the program to whatever the new higher rate is, uh, while anyone under an existing higher rate is grandfathered at that rate. So anyone, you, you have no potential harm from the company's ability to flex it down. Uh, however, if you enter at a lowered amount, you only have the potential to go up through the program. Yeah, there's one exception to that rule. If you're an FTI without a medical, you're also the MEC secretary treasurer, and you're not here because you're hunting on vacation, that your retention bonus could be flexed down. We're thinking of you, Jade. We miss you, bud. Um, next, <laughs> I love our comms guys. Uh, next one is from Rumor Mills. So <laughs> Rumor Mills, we appreciate you writing in. What areas of the TA are set up for the, possi for the possibilities of future pattern bargaining? Very, very open-ended question. Um, pattern bargaining in general, when you think about the pillars of the contract, you're thinking about pay rates, work rules, retirement, job stability and security, commutability, and career progression. Considering that we are going to be tops in the industry in just about every single category, once again, the Endeavor JCBA is set up very, very nicely for other carriers to pattern bargain against ours. Remember. Um, we're being sincere when we said we've led the industry in contractual benefits for a period of eight years. The only pillar that we really lagged behind was that career progression pillar, and we solidified that in 125. We improved it in 129, and we're still looking for ways to improve it. We tried to get the company to move more pilots through those programs, um, even through this round of negotiations. But we have a very, very strong subset of benefits that are afforded to the pilots. We have for a number of years, even as other properties have gotten closer to us. We didn't wait until we were you know, surpassed. We continued to improve. And I think that's what we're going to continue to do here. Now, what are some of these other properties going to do? I mean, I, I look at the Piedmont, PSA, and Envoy deals. I think one of the things that they're going to look at, not just in our deal, but in other deals such as Mesa and what has happened around the fee-for-departure industry, these rates are permanent, you know, and they're not based upon a premium that is at the sole discretion of the company. So I think you're going to see some of those things change in future bargaining uh, bargaining opportunities for those properties. And then how do we respond to see changes in the industry? And that's going to be up for discussion on future MEC leadership and the pilot group in and of itself. So would you like to take this next one? Sure. Uh, another email question from Cincinnati 900 Captain Corey Simons or Simmons. Uh, hi there. Hi, Corey. Uh, is the MEC leaning toward ratifying the TA, uh, once we reach a TA, internally versus sending it out for a vote to the pilot group this month uh, so we can receive any potential retro pay? Uh, at this point in time, I would say yes, uh, based on the indications we've gotten from the MEC over conference calls, the varying uh, large number that we've done over the last couple weeks, plus uh, in person at the MEC meeting. Uh, the overwhelming opinion from the uh, feedback from you, the pilot group, 
has been for the MEC to get this signed um, <laughs> essentially as soon as possible. Um, again, it, it's semi-serious, semi-joking, but we've had the pilots writing in saying, sign this a week ago, sign this yesterday. How haven't you signed this yet? Could you guys please come sign this? Like, we, we understand there's a strong desire right now in the pilot group to get that. We just obviously need to follow our normal process, get the TA language finished and distributed. Um, but it is looking strongly right now that it would be an MEC ratification. All right, moving on to our next question. We have an email from Detroit 900FO J Jacob DeFrank. If we are an approximately 800-hour FO and decide to opt into the captain upgrade and retention plan, thus earning an extra $7,500 or $7,500 for hours 850 through 1,000, will we have to pay that extra 700 or 7,500 back if we leave early for another carrier, like we would the lump sum of the retention package? And the short answer for that is going to be no, because that is just captain pay. It's not a bonus. It's just your captain pay. Yeah, there's there's no clawback option for a wage or a rate. That's the that's the difference. So let's move on to the next one. I'll take this one. Um, this is from Minneapolis 200 Captain, uh, probably not for long, Mark Rassler. With, <laughs> with <laughs> too soon, <laughs> with the demise of the CRJ 200, uh, all but officially announced for next spring summer. Question: A prophecy once proclaimed that a CRJ 200 will. Um, pick up the last CRJ 900 crew from the desert. Yes, I have heard that prophecy, and it's one I think I it's even the last 220 I, from I the desert now. I still believe it. Yeah. Um, will the company keep at least one CRJ 200 on the certificate in order to fulfill this prophecy or as other, other needs required? Mark, that's a great question. Um, we, they haven't talked to us about their long-term plans. What I will say is these are aircraft that are owned by Delta, and what happens in many cases is that they're flown out to the desert and parked. Sometimes they are parked permanently. Sometimes we're told they're going to be parked permanently, but somehow yet they have a resurgence. Um, the death of the CRJ-200 has been predicted many times before. It looks more valid now than it ever has been in the past. However, again, you never know what the future is going to hold. Um, while Delta, American, United, they're all trying to take on these deliveries from Boeing and Airbus. Those deliveries are backed up, and you never know what could happen. I think what's scaring them the most on the CRJ200 is a lot of them are coming up for heavy checks, and they need engine overalls, and they need a lot of maintenance work, which costs a lot of money. And if you're going to run those frames for several years, you get a good ROI on that. But if you're not running those frames for several years, it may not make any sense. Um, be fair, Mainline's also known to retrofit an entire True. fleet right before sending it to the desert or converting it to cargo. True. Um, so maybe we see Wi-Fi and new engines on 200s just for them to get flown out westward anyway. And then Mark continues to write, all just aside, good job on the TA. If not already answered, look forward to hearing any comments about fleet guarantees. Also, if the 200s were parked by the company prior to next summer, are there enough dual-class aircraft out of heavy check or out of the desert to replace the 200s that will be parked? Not on a one-for-one -one basis as far as we know. And as far as the fleet guarantee is concerned, that is something that should still continue to be a large focus of the pilot group because it protects jobs. We've long said we can have the best agreement in the industry, but if we don't have the jobs solidified and protected behind it, what does that really mean? And so what we really need to focus on, and, and it's sometimes hard for pilot groups to do that because you know they want the shiny rates and they want the retention and they want the removal of ready reserve and they want the benefits now, but again, you also have to take a look at what are you setting yourself up for in the future. Committing jets to Endeavor limits options. Um, 
for well, it limits options that Delta can exercise and puts us further in the driver's seat. And so, really, a fleet guarantee should always be of utmost uh, focus and importance for the pilot group. I know it has been for me. I know it's going to be for Adam and the future leadership team of the MEC. We just need to make sure that you continue to put your focus on it as well. Softball, sure. Yeah. Or do you want this one? Dave's application, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so our next question is an email from uh, Minneapolis 200 Captain Mike Pocker. Uh, I missed the discussion regarding the date of the new pay rates will come become effective. Please restate them for me. That date will just be the date of ratification. Yep. Date of ratification, um, and then obviously there's going to be the retro that could go back to um, September 30th, which is the beginning of the October bid period. Um, but yes, date of ratification. Uh, text in question from Minneapolis 900 Captain Jesse Martinez. Uh, what is preventing the company from stalling out a tentative agreement to get out of retropay from October 1st? Uh, well, in theory, nothing. However, this was an item uh, proposed at the table by the company as an incentive for us to reach an agreement quickly. Uh, not necessarily the other way around. As Nick mentioned, there was a couple other avenues we looked at, such as other contractual improvements or a uh, overall bonus of some sort for overall ratification. Um, however, the avenue we landed at with the company was for the pay rates to go retroactive to uh, the October and November bid periods if ratified by the end of November. Um, it's it's not uh, a matter of the company wanting to delay on this to stall out on paying that amount out to the pilots. Uh, it it instead is a encouragement for the MEC to move faster through the deal um, because the company does also need these pay rates. Um, it, it's going to, in the company's mind, encourage current first officers to upgrade, encourage new pilots to come in the door, um, and they do. It, it, it's a mutual benefit package in the sense that this is a windfall for our pilots, but it also helps keep the airline afloat. And, and yeah, I, I would on. say what is preventing the company from stalling the TA is the attrition numbers. 97 in September, 103 in October. They don't want this stalled out any more than we want it stalled out. And if we got the sense that they were stalling it out, okay, fine. We're going to call them on, on that, which they typically act yeah. with far more integrity on that. But we would call them on that and we'd say, look, we're not the ones that are slowing this process down. You guys are. So now we're going to leak into December, but our, we're not changing the terms and conditions and the substance of the retro pay. So that would be our position on that. Moving on, we have a text from Atlanta 200 FO Casey Disney. I love your last name. <laughs> Will there be an opportunity for FOs to opt into the early captain pay retention program upon the TA ratification if we did not do it before? I am an 850 plus hour FO. And yes, the answer is, well, yes, yes is the answer. Um, uh, upon the date of ratification, the company should send you an email saying you are eligible to opt in. Um, and at that point, you have a 21 day window to go ahead and opt in um, and start receiving your captain pay. Yep, yeah. uh, essentially, yeah. And if you, so you have to have your, uh, you have to opt into the program and take the first available upgrade. Yep, so essentially how this will be handled on the uh, captain pay side is that it'll be processed the same for upgrades as they've been doing right now with those who opted into the $20,000 upgrade as a first officer, where 
essentially regardless of how you set up your bid card, those first officer uh, positions are for all intents and purposes ignored once you have the other qualifications for upgrading. By the agreement, you are uh, signing yourself up for that first available upgrade regardless of base, aircraft, etc. Um, and so you, you cannot get out of it as we saw a couple pilots uh, attempts rightly so, uh, during the $20,000 bonus by putting all FO positions at the top and the captain spots at the bottom, uh, only to find out those FO spots were ignored. Um, so you, you are signing yourself up for that first available upgrade. Um, however, you would start receiving the captain pay at that point at the end of the opt-in window. Uh, one thing to note, the $20,000 bonus that was previously available to first officers uh, that is not available to the entrance of the program at this time. There's some language in there grandfathering those who opted in under that pathway during LOA 130. That component did not uh, continue on with this new uh, agreement in principle or TA. Reason being, uh, that was sort of a one point in time solution to the problem. It overall, I, I would say the data would show from the company side that it wasn't as successful as they wanted and they're trying out a different avenue with the captain pay now. That being said, you're still entitled to the full uh, 40, 40, and 30 for the 110,000 through the captain upgrade portion. All right, right before we go to the next uh, caller in the queue, uh, since Mike Sutherland, since you're watching the show, to answer your text message question, if you'd like to ask a question via email, it's edvonair at alpha.org. It's edvonair at alpha.org. Love you, Mike. All right, let's go to the next caller in the queue. Hey, guys. It's uh, Jake Davidson. I'm a 900 captain in New York, uh, recently upgraded. Uh, first of all, I just wanted to thank you guys for all the good work you've done and, uh, and the uh, agreement and principle that we've reached. You're welcome. Thank you. Um, I don't, yeah, absolutely. Um, so my question is pretty specific. Uh, I completed OE mid-late last month. Um, so my question was essentially... Uh, if we do go back and, you know, we, we sign the uh, or ratify the, the new contract uh, this month and we get the retro pay for last month, um, if you upgraded, obviously the, the old language stated that um, we would have to, uh, you know, complete OE before you receive captain pay. Um, since I completed OE last month, would uh, the retro pay apply as a captain's uh, pay, you know, new pay rate or would it still apply as an FO's pay rate? That would be at your first officer pay rate. Uh, so the the exact language as we've last been working on it was that it's for uh, the wage rates for all pay credits accrued. Um, while not specifically on purpose, not specifically addressing other overages, such as the uh, change of the start of captain pay rates or the FTI overrides in a month, or the LCP dollar overrides. Uh, so in a situation such as yours, you would be at the new higher first officer rate, um, which we were all right with this position because really the new FO rate is essentially what the existing captain rates were for someone with the seniority to upgrade uh, at this point in time. Um, so that's essentially as if you'd been receiving the, the current book captain rate from that point onward. So for example, if you've been here three years, you'd be at the $104 an hour amount for your retro pay. Yeah, and the other thing is we we were only retroing, as, as Adam said, we are only retroing the wage. We're not retroing any other provision of the contract. If we started going down that slope of, okay, so we're gonna retro the wage, and now we're gonna retro 
um, this this new hire, or excuse me, the captain upgrade bonus, and then do we have to retro now the FTIs, and do we have to retro the F LCPs, and so it is just the wage, and I want to make sure that that's clear to the pilot group. I, and being on the NC, being a rep previously, I, I do 100% sympathize with this. Selfishly, I would have liked it to see covering quite a bit more. I got stuck in the wormhole of uh, eight and a half weeks between LOE and OE, uh, so I kind of had that summer FO pay vacation. I heard that. Yep, as Nick likes to say, that's sort of the burden of upgrade, and I suffered the consequences of my upgrade actions, and uh, yeah, it, it does unfortunately turn into that slope of where do you draw the line in the sand, um, and the, the agreement as reached with the company was for wage rates only to October. I, I, was, I was a huge proponent of let's go back to the Envoy point in time, let's up that captain rate. Uh, I could use some new siding, you know, something else for the house, but uh, we, we did have to draw a line somewhere. I always have to laugh at Adam and his, like, you know, four-month burden upgrade being at FO at 75 hours when I was uh, four years at 75 hours as a reserve pilot under some very different wages. Probably a but, little little lower than that's 69 okay. an hour. A, a yeah. burden is a burden. Yeah. <laughs> we, we all carry it differently. <laughs> I, I hear you. Well, hey. <laughs> Well, hey, it's hard to complain about $104 an hour in retro pay versus 60-something. So yeah. thank you guys so much again. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. Take care. No uh, no lack of us trying, but uh, that, that is how it goes. So thanks for calling in. No worries. Thanks, thanks guys. You all have a great night. Hey, we went from five callers in the queue to three, and we only answered it one question. Scared someone off, yeah. <laughs> all right, you're on here with the chair. Hi, good evening, uh, Captain in Cincinnati. Again, it's been mentioned many times. Thank you for everything you guys done and continue to do. My question is, at the beginning of the on-call with the chair, you mentioned that uh, the retro pay applies to the people that have left the property. And how far back are you looking to uh, get retro? Does that also apply that for the guys that are currently still on property? So, yeah, let me make sure that I make this extremely clear. So the company and the association have an agreement that anybody that is on property at date of ratification will be retroed back to the start of the October bid period, which is September 30th. We are in agreement on that. Where we still remain apart is the pilots that are going to leave or have left the property prior to the date of ratification how are we handling or treating those pay credits? Because again, this was supposed to be for services rendered. It's, it's different when you look back on a rate versus look forward on a bonus. And so we are in disagreement on how to handle those pilots, and that is why we are not at a TA at this point. Okay, so basically it's from September 30th on, if you are here, when this is getting signed, you're getting retro. Yeah, the the way regardless that, if they are move forward. Yeah, the yep. way that that we originally wrote the language was all pay credits accrued from the October bid period to date of ratification by all pilots, capital B pilots, meaning captain, first officer on the seniority list, and it also does include FTIs and and that such. So. It should be all pay credit. So you could be here from September 30th to October 7th. You may have only completed one trip. You may only be owed 20 hours of pay, but that was service that was rendered during that time to the company. Delta reaped the benefit, and we're not understanding why they shouldn't also reap the reward simply because they have left. 
right? That that aspect is our opinion on the uh, the impasse that we've reached. However, I, again, to reiterate what Nick's saying and to be clear for everyone on the call, what what is agreed upon and regardless of what the final direction goes, that does still cover all pilots who are on property. The the up in the air part is just those who are not. So in your case, if you're you're here, if you're not planning on leaving any time before ratification or after, um, it would be all of your pay credits accrued from the October and November bid periods would be trued up to this new higher wage rate. Okay. It sounded like you guys were trying to get something further back in the year for pilots that have left during the struggles of the summer schedule. No, if, no. If, That's you, why, no, if you separated I, prior to September 30th, this isn't going to apply to you. Again, when we look at a retro rate, okay, and again, there's like I said, there's a little bit of a difference to that. Those were pay credits that were earned by those pilots during that time. And so we were just simply trying to retro all pilots based upon the language that we proposed and we thought was agreed upon at, at the table or with a company. But again, there's there can be variances between the AIP and TA pay, uh, phase. That's no problem. But again, it's not any farther back than September 30th. Yeah, to be to be totally clear, we're not seeking a favorable position for those pilots where, say, you, you left in July and you somehow got a true up, but no. someone on property didn't get that difference. That's not remotely what what the uh impasse or what the point we're at right now covers um everyone would be treated within that same window how we are uh wanting to proceed with this language all right thank you again of course absolutely You're on air with the chair. Hey guys, uh, hey guys, uh, can you hear me? Yep, yep. Okay, hi. Uh, thank you for everything that you guys are working on. Um, I'm a New York 900 new captain um, that's in that wormhole for um, OE. So um, I kind of got sick in the middle of it, so it's kind of dragging it out a little bit longer. But I'm confused on the language on how we're talking about the retro. When we first read that agreement in principle, the email, um, it said if you were still, my understanding is that if you're still in training, um, you know, the captain upgrade training, um, and, and the AI, the agreement is signed by the end of the month, there would be retro pay while going back to when you started captain upgrade training. Is that correct so far? So the... On, on date of ratification, say for a very simple number, and I think this is actually kind of the example that we used in the agreement, say you started upgrade training November 1st and the agreement was ratified November 20th, uh, your cap, even though you're not done with training, you would snap up to the new captain pay rate because all, all pilots going forward would get it at the start of training, so you would go to that rate immediately from date of ratification forward. Uh, however, the prior to ratification um, retro pay, so to speak, would be for the wage rate only of the position that you held at the time. So at the time of the retro window, you were a first officer in upgrade training. You would be paid at the current first officer pay rate. Uh, but from date of ratification forward, whether that was uh, two days left in your OE trip or if that was two days into upgrade school, from that date of, of 
dates of ratification points onward, uh, you would be paid at not only the new higher wage rate, but also the captain wage rate. So that so it's actually talking about cap it's talking about FO rates going back to when you are still in training. But it would be the new it would be the newer um, you know the, the the raise so to speak the the AI grade the AI, the agreement principle. Yep. Um, but not for captain not for captain uh, rates, but for the new. FO rates, is that correct? Correct. Yep. So so say at the end of September you went into upgrade training. Uh, and you're still waiting on OE right now, uh, your retro pay wage rate adjustment would be at your previous position, which was the first officer. So you would move from, say, in the 50s right. and 60s to in the 100s. And then from date of ratification forward, you would not only be under the new pay scale, but you would be under that captain rate immediately, even if you weren't finished with training. Um, so there's a, a fair number of pilots that will be seeing a near $100 an hour uh, pay rate increase until they finish upgrade training. Yeah, I think I'd, I'd be one of them because I'm a, like a seven-year guy. I, I, defer, I deferred the um, upgrade for because I was um, getting bought off pretty often. Gotcha. Um, well, one more quick yeah. question. on. Uh, sure, go ahead. One more quick question. Um, so for the re- going back to the retention money from the previous agreement, um, that's it. Basically, you're on the you're on the hook for two years, um, staying here or going to Delta. When does that two year count? When does that two year uh, point start? Is well, you when does that two year point start? Yeah, so that'll be effective the completion of your Captain OE. Um, the reason being uh, that that language is actually unchanged from LOA 130, but the reason we picked that point in time before is that was when you were qualified in your new position is the completion of OE. Um, so say you finished OE uh, December 1st of this year, your 24-month service commitment would expire December 1st of 2024. Uh, and that would be whether you wanted to continue on to Delta, you obviously still have your flower cap rights, uh, depending where you fall on the seniority list. You said seven years, so that, of course, would be the flow program. Um, but it would be your discretion on if you wanted to go to another airline after that point, if you're just going to retire out, or if you stay here for a while, your, your commitment to not have to pay back a cent of that 110,000 is 24 months of captain service from completion of your captain OE. And that is unchanged. Yeah. I wasn't, yeah. I wasn't sure if it was when you, when, when we signed, when we got the beginning of it, you know, back as an FO or at the end of you know, when captain training starts or when you actually went OE ends. So, um, which makes sense because I guess that's what they want you to do. They want captains here longer. So it doesn't uh, matter what you're doing as an FO. Yep. So that, that's when the payment is tied. Your service is tied with the payments as well. Um, so that way you're, you're not accruing service towards the captain requirements uh, prior to receiving money, um, but then you're also not receiving money prior to your service clock starting for someone going forward opting in as a captain, if that makes sense. No, it does. It does. I appreciate the answer. As a matter of fact, I sent an email. Um, it looks like it's a little wordy. It's... Uh, you know, you already answered it. It's, uh, that's why I called. I didn't think uh, my question on email was going to be very clear. So I just wanted to do it on the phone. Yeah, of course. Thanks for calling in. Thank you much. Bye-bye. That looks like we got uh, one more question or one more caller, excuse me, in the queue. Not one more question. We're not that lucky. On air with the chair. 
Hey, how's it going? Uh, Tyler Campbell, New York Niners captain. Hey, Tyler. Hey, uh, so my question is, uh, should we be concerned with the new Delta Pilots contract affecting our flow or cap program since it's tied to the current contract they're under? No, we really shouldn't be uh, concerned about that. You know, I've been in consistent talks with uh, Jason Ambrosi, his entire MEC. There doesn't seem to be any plan or any appetite right now to modify, change, or remove uh, 1B47F Exception 2 in the pilot PWA. So I think right now we're, we're pretty safe. Just remember, too, that part of the conditions in terms of 129, which was the career advancement plan or the cap, is that if for some reason um, LOA 125 is ever affected, because that isn't completely within our purview, that all of the flow pilots will then be uh, grandfathered into the cap. So we would still have guaranteed and contractual career progression. Now, there are a few little differences and nuances inside the cap versus the flow. Um, we won't go over the details uh, on those tonight because I'm being told we still have 41 questions uh, left to go, which is quite a bit. So um, there are other avenues to kind of best flesh that out. But I am I am not concerned. I know that the Delta MEC's uh, longtime stance has been we need to bring our flying in-house, whether we're talking about the joint venture agreements uh, at the top end of the scope uh, region or you're talking about um, the scope at the regional level. They would like to bring the planes and pilots and, you know, that probably is a sentiment that's shared by a lot of MECs, and it's probably going to take several bargaining cycles, but I'm not concerned about our flow agreement at this point in time. All right. That's all I got, man. Appreciate it. Thank you very much. All right. So I'm in uh, no problem. So I'm just going to advise the pilots in general that uh, we have uh, a lot of repeated questions, I guess, on the email. So what we're going to try to do is speed some of this up a little bit. If the question has already been answered, we may call out your name, give a very brief answer in full, for a full detailed explanation. Um, obviously, when this gets posted on the EDVMEC website, just watch the first couple hours of the call. Um, we may or may not take an intermission here for a couple of minutes. I'm feeling like I might actually need to take an intermission here, but uh, apparently we have about another 41 questions and some with multiple parts. That's when we go rogue and we start saying all the stuff Nick doesn't want us to say on live TV. <laughs> there you go. Actually, I'm the, probably more likely to yeah. say this stuff oh, yeah. as, call, as call, our lawyers yeah. start sweating bullets over yes. there. Yeah. He's, he's drafting his resignation as we speak. Okay, remember, we're going we're gonna to try to... Um, uh, push through a lot of these emails, but uh, when we get back to the phone lines, if we get back to them, 612-662-9825, press star 1 to ask a question. Uh, for now, we'll get into the emails. Uh, I'll take this first one. Detroit 200 Captain Brandon Boldy, does the company plan to release the results of the survey? Uh, no need to read this, or are they too embarrassed? Uh, Brandon, that's not something that we're going to be able to answer. Their survey results are completely within their discretion and their control, so if if you're interested in seeing them or if you're wondering if they're going to be released, I would just recommend reaching out to your local base management team. Uh, this one you might have to tap oh. <laughs> in for part of. Um, okay. I, I can handle the first part, but I just don't know enough on the second one. This is a uh, two-part texting question, Atlanta to, uh, 900 FO, Brandon Bernard. Uh, what is our stance with Delta if they strike? Will we be striking as well? Uh, we do not have sympathy strike language in our JCBA, um, so that's not something that's formally codified. Of course, you would not be uh, crossing a picket line in that sense, and that, that drives into the second part of this question, which I think 
as chair, you might be better. Yeah, if we answer. are not going to scab their flights, how will we know it's not just us getting our routes back versus Delta having us pick up their loads? Here's the thing. Under the Railway Labor Act, um, if Delta is authorized for a release on strike, they are authorized to release to strike. That really has no bearing on what we are going to operate here at Endeavor. And if Carl, my attorney, if I say anything wrong, just jump right in. But that has his. He sits over there and smiles <laughs> and starts to sweat bullets. Yeah. <laughs> go dark, go dark. Uh, that really has absolutely no bearing or effect on our ability to operate flights because while these are Delta-owned aircraft, remember – they are operating under the Endeavor Certificate, and we are a separate company. And under the Railway Labor Act, we can't just go and seek self-help without following a very, very long process through the National Mediation Board. So there isn't any, any issues going to work and flying an Endeavor flight. You're not going to be labeled as a scab. Now, if Delta decided to say to other pilots, hey, why don't you come on board because you're typing a 737 and just fly this – that could be a problem, right? You, you shouldn't go do that. However, flying our flights, you absolutely would be safe. And really one thing to keep in mind too, if say this was a two day, three day, whatever instance, if you have no international flying, no Delta mainline presence whatsoever, you can only teeter your airline along so far in 76 seat aircraft. There's not a need for those Atlanta Chattanooga flights when no one's connecting from Atlanta to London or Johannesburg so right. that's not uh, not really a present concern obviously we support the uh, direction that the MEC goes at Delta um, but that doesn't really quite ripple down to the Endeavor no. pilots on a day-to-day -day basis yeah, we support them but we're not supporting them by striking ourselves because that would be an illegal job action plain and simple Carl right. am, I, am I still okay yes oh thank okay. you <laughs> says hesitantly. Uh, all I right. was pretty confident. <laughs> Next question. We have an email from Cincy 900 FO Thomas Hirschfield. Could you expand on the small group of pilots between 850 hours and upgrade? If someone did not take the retention bonus but took the first available upgrade, are they entitled to retro at captain pay? Um, no, right now, captain pay will not be retro. The only retro will be for the wages earned during uh, October and November bid periods, um, which I think. Yep. Yeah, that we kind of hit that one on. on to death for a while. Uh, that's that's your qualified position. So so you would not snap up to the new change of the wage rate. That would simply be just your your current qualified position at a new rate. And then the next part of the question is, can you elaborate on the 21-day opt-in window? And if I have this correct, you're going to get an email from the company saying that you are eligible for captain pay. Uh, you have 21 days to opt in to start receiving that captain pay. Yeah, we so. might not have touched on the, the other aspect in a lot of detail yet, but at, at a bare bones level, Victoria is absolutely correct. Uh, the 1st and 16th of every month is the language that's written now. Uh, there will be a hours report ran automatically by the company. Um, from that report, they'll determine who is qualified for the 750-hour opt-in point or the 850-hour captain pay. Um, and the, the program would proceed from there with, with an automated email. Right, and that's after they run an audit the date yep. of ratification. All right, the next one is from Atlanta 900 Captain Mark Adams. It's a three-part question, but uh, we'll go quickly on these. Is it possible to not do base visits in order to speed up the process? Yes, it's possible, and yes, it's likely, and yes, it's most likely not going to be any base visits. But again, that's going to be dependent upon the pilot group. If you feel like the need 
to have base visits. We're more than happy to, to do them. But based upon all the feedback that we've received up to this point, the pilots are just telling us we'd like to just have the MEC ratify it. Um, is the LOA for 200% pickup through the training department for LCPs still effective? Yes. What is the time period for the new reserve period? We don't know because it is in company discretion, as is all the reserve periods. So I would I would just venture to guess, however, that if they move the P1 to, let's say, 3 o'clock in the morning, the new P2 is probably going to start maybe at uh, 5, 6, 7 in the morning. And I think the new P3 probably will not start any later than 10 a.m., because they cannot have a contact period extend past midnight per the contract, and they can also have a 14-hour contact period window. So if you extend it any later than, or start it any later than 10 a.m., you're gonna lose some of your 14-hour yep. contactability window. And this will be base dependent. Uh, maybe Atlanta and New York have different needs tailored for their contact periods than, for example, Minneapolis, uh, where I think the first departure doesn't even leave till like eight in the morning right now. Mm -hmm. So. Uh, Minneapolis Tuner Captain Jory Long uh, says there's a reason why we agreed to 24 and a half hours vacation credit. Um, to expand on that, that's a change in this agreement for 24 and a half hours of vacation schedule credit. Uh, the pay credit remains un unchanged as it is now, also at 24 and a half. This is just a restoration of old pre-bankruptcy language where the schedule credit also was 24 and a half before. Uh, this is something we're still going to continue to seek to find a uh, higher amount to gain more value in your vacation days um, in the future. One thing we'll often hear from uh, more senior pilots is about a potential fifth week or beyond a vacation. And what we would rather see is a much larger benefit uh, system-wide of having there be more value or more synthetic credit behind your days of vacation versus a overall accrual. Um, if you could get Throwing out insane numbers here. Uh, if you had a 75 hour uh, synthetic credit vacation week, that one week <laughs> of vacation would net you the entire month off. Um, you can you can <laughs> come to your own conclusions in between there what a 40 hour, 30 hour, et cetera, vacation week brings. But this was simply a bankruptcy restoration um, and something that we're seeking to continue to improve on. Yeah, in an ideal situation, we would like to get to a system where a day of vacation is additive to whatever days off you could already hold. This is obviously a step towards that. There's a lot of um, credibility in saying, hey, this is a bankruptcy restoration. We're going to move forward. But there's still more work to be done on that front. Absolutely. Next one is from CG. Uh, more work did you get to do. CVG 900, uh, Captain Callan Crawford. Will the elimination... Oh, I think, yeah, ready reserve. Will the elimination of this, <laughs> along with the accompanying changes in reserve rules, provide any enhancement for commuters commuting to reserve? So, yes, there is going to be some front side commutability that is going to be impacted. However, there is now a third contact period, and depending upon where you're commuting from or how they, they structure these, you may still have some level of front side commutability. But remember, with the early release language that we secured, you're going to have better backside commutability. And it's not just if you're able to capture that one ready reserve AM slot. It's going to apply to every pilot on reserve in every position. So while front side commutability has been a, a little negatively impacted, and we will look for opportunities to improve that in the future, backside commutability has been greatly improved. A large portion of our pilot, second question, large portion of our pilot group commutes. Is there any possibility of company provided commuter hotels? Um, oh, that's the part two right there. Okay, I will just move on from that one. Um, it's funny that you bring up commuter hotels. It's been something that the company has been uh, brought up before or said to us, hey, you know, we might be interested in it. And every single time we propose it after they tell us that they'd be interested in it, uh, they remove it, which is kind of, of odd. 
Um, in the past, they've wanted to charge us 100 cents on the dollar for asking for commuter hotels. And we've said, look, it's just as much of a benefit to you as it is to us, especially when you're talking about attraction and retention of pilots. This time, they removed it saying, well, we feel like if we do it for the pilots, we have to do it for everyone. Again, that, that same line, right? Part of that, too, was that uh, the company believed by giving us a higher hourly pay rate that would offset some of those commuting costs as well. Sure. Um, and that you're now seeing a 50% or more increase. Um, they believe that is enough to offset it. Obviously, that's very domicile dependent. You can stay at the Red Roof Inn in Detroit for $40 in a tetanus shot, whereas in New York, you might be lucky to get out for under 200 a night. And yet our position was there are many other properties in the industry right now that have these higher rates, whether it's on a premium basis or a permanent basis, and they have commuter hotels on top of that. But they really felt like, I mean, just to be plain plain language, they really felt like they would have to do it for the flight attendants as well, and then the cost would just become too exorbitant, especially given what we are, are trying to achieve here. So it is still something that we're, we're talking to the company about uh, here and there. I can dive into this one. New York Niner Captain Zachary Brendel. Uh, it's a multi-part question. We'll, we'll try and do a lightning round here. Thank you for your continued service to our pilot group. You're certainly welcome. Uh, one, how is the company handling the bonus repayment? I don't know if this is in the literal sense on like if they're emotionally damaged by people paying it back, but if you mean by how are they facilitating it, um, just reach out to your base management. This is the advice we provide everyone. And They'll provide you with the means, the repayment forms, and of course you can reach out after you have that repayment proof uh, to reclaim the, the dues money from Alpha National. Uh, question two, with a CJO elsewhere, will it make a difference if I resign before the end of the year? Um, if this is again about bonus repayment, yes, there are some tax implications. I would really recommend rather than uh, trying to read this all on air that you submit a DART with this question and we can certainly send you the uh, copy-paste that I like to use with this question on the differences in Medicare, Social Security, the various taxes across the years, because um, there is a difference within the same tax year. Uh, related to that, question three is, will they want the full amount or the post-tax? Within the same tax year, it's the post-tax plus ALPA dues, not quite the full amount of the next year, because there's some things they can still reclaim, like uh, Social Security and Medicare. Four, will they garner my last paycheck or retro payment if I only give back the post-tax amount initially? Um, that's again assuming you separate it into the next year, but the short answer is yes, and that's how it's outlined in the agreement. Uh, that if you don't pay by your final day, they will deduct it from your final paycheck as well as within 30 days send it to a collections. Uh, this next one is from New York City 900 First Officer Eduardo, Eduardo D. Thanks for all you do. Was wondering why we got rid of the pay increase for first officers that used to exist oh sure so they're saying previously you went from 50 or so dollars oh. an hour to closer to 60 um really Is advertising from the company they wanted to advertise that hundred dollar first year rate and if you jumped up to 110 115 whatever your second year there's significantly less incentive to upgrade um really it's a recruiting optics for that shiny hundred dollar an hour number um and yeah, I guess the, the full the full question was used to be the case that FOs received a ten dollar an hour pay increase after year one, which offsets new hire bonus and ALPA dues. Now you get a two dollar raise. FOs top out at ten dollars above new hire, which stings for FO lifers. 
I think those who left forfeit their retro pay. Why are we gambling? And t- okay, that's a separate opinion. Okay, so Sting's Ethel Lifers. I, I just want to impress upon you that right now our our rates are set between 50 and what is the top out? It's low 70s low, low at se- most. 70, low 70s. And we're talking about going to 100 to 110, okay? Um, even if you have chosen to be a first officer here for the remainder of your career, or maybe that choice was made for you because you can't hold a first-class medical, you are still doing significantly better than you were previously with that kind of pay raise. So, um, Eduardo, if you'd like to call me personally, more than happy to discuss this with you. Um, if you feel strongly about uh, the fact that the step increases aren't as large, you, you're you correct, they're not as large. However, what is large is that your pay rate is now going from 50 to 100 or 70 to 110, and that is a fairly significant uh, increase. Uh, email from Detroit Tuner, Captain Hampton McDonald. Uh, isn't current auto release nine hours after wrap? Example, P2 auto release at 1900. Uh, yes, it is, but not necessarily fixed in that sense because P2 at entirely the company's discretion, they could start P2 at 7 a.m. if they wanted and your auto release is still contractually 1900. It happens to be nine hours after the start of that contact period as they've been assigning P2 right now, but your contractual releases are at 1400 and 1900, whereas this shift to the hard fixed limit of nine hours protects the pilots for those earlier scheduled uh, wraps essentially is the short answer. Can you please expand on what benefit is actually gained for reserve commutability? Absolutely. So in the case of a, uh, say the new P2 uh, in New York, and Nick's example is at 5 a.m. Under current book language, that P2 pilot would still release uh, auto release at 1400. That's, or sorry, at 1900. That's a 14 hour duty day for that pilot by the time you hit your auto release. This fixed nine hour uh, by the bid pack start of your contact period not only protects these new variable uh, based on what the company needs for those contact periods, not only does it protect your auto release time from that, but it helps you out in the instance of a contact period change or in the instance of you receiving a late assignment as they tend to do in New York. We all know it doesn't take much for things to go wrong out there. And all of a sudden, yeah, when you were supposed to be getting back your second to last day at 5 p.m., you get back at one in the morning. Well, if you're receiving a 10 hour rest, uh, you auto release in that case potentially before ever going back on duty. Um, And that's your purview if you would be booking a flight home after that point. If you're auto-released, you, you would never come on duty in that scenario, uh, which is a far benefit from the 1,400-hour limitation right now. Our next email question is from Detroit 200 Captain Dwayne Love. It has come to my attention that the company is not backfilling positions in Atlanta. They are primarily filling vacancies in New York. When will Atlanta vacancies open up? The company's focus right now is to grow New York. Remember, New York took probably the largest hit during the pandemic during COVID with the most drawdown of flying and now they are trying to look for the resurgence of New York. Uh, For a long time, we have been a New York-centric airline. There was a time period where Atlanta took that title as our largest domicile, and so I know a lot of pilots got comfortable down there, but right now that just does not seem to be the focus for the company. They are aware that by creating um, more opportunities and more preferred domiciles, they will help their retention and acquisition, and they're looking to do that to the maximum extent that they can, but when will Atlanta vacancies open up? 
we don't know and we're not in control of that. So I would just ask you that you direct your that question to your local base management team. Uh, email question from Cincy 900 Captain Ian Ricketts. We all know the eJet carrot was sent out via company email recently. Do you have any untold information, or have you in your meetings with the company been told anything in terms of timeline or where the planes are coming from? Are, are we allowed to say it, or are we under NDAs on this? I'm just messing with you. I was going to, yeah. If you, <laughs> look, I got if you couldn't tell I by totally my look of him. confusion, I'm like, what email or conference call did I get left off of? I totally got um, it. Yeah, you did. So, no, there, there's not anything, but we've been told specifically in this direction. Um, as we mentioned in our intros, uh, one move that the company wanted to make was to open up our longevity program to the Teamsters pilots because they believe they might be uh, a, a subset of pilots from a Teamsters airline that flies an Embraer um, that could potentially be coming on property. Um, we can leave it up to everyone else to fill in the blanks there, but that's really all the further that they've wanted to engage on, and they've told us no comment beyond that. Um, but it, it's a pretty easy fill-in-the-blank on what, what the company's indication might be meaning. That absolutely doesn't mean it will happen, though. We've, we've seen this uh, rug be pulled out in the past, the last two times the embryos were supposed to come on property. Next one is from Detroit 900 Captain Richard Bays. Um, this is more of a statement, but so disappointed that pilots who were junior to me at another airline are onboarded here with more pay than I get. Good for them, but I want credit for my previous time too. Richard, that, uh, that statement is better directed to your LEC rep, but we do appreciate you sharing that with us tonight. Uh, the next one is uh, is from CVG 900 First Officer Caitlin. I'm not even going Caitlin to try. R. Uh, Caitlin R. says, do you expect the retro pay to include BYD days that occurred during October and November to be paid out at 200%? No. Uh, and the language supports this as well. Again, it's solely for wage rates, no other potential improvements uh, throughout the AIP or TA. Wait, wait. CVG 900 Captain John, isn't he gone? No, I think you're Am I thinking, thinking somebody of else? someone else. Okay, yeah. I might be thinking of someone Okay. First, congratulations to Nick and Eddie for transitioning. Thanks to everyone who stepped up. Could you expand on why it is just and fair to retro pilots who separated from Endeavor but still paid their association dues? I don't really not, follow the I'm, question. I am a little lost. Let me read that again. Could you expand on why it is just and fair to retro pilots who separated from Endeavor but still paid their association dues? If I think this I think they meant to say not retro pilots. Oh well, our oh. Po our position is to retro those pilots. The company is taking the opposite stance. Our stance has been to retro those pilots. Let me make that very clear. Yeah, because now, yeah, the the second question I guess we should have read ahead a little bit does tie into that. Can an argument be made that the benefits package would not exist without those of us who voted with our feet? I think that's what you were just about to dive yeah. into because absolutely, uh, 97 out the door in September, 103 out the door in October, uh, record low morale this summer between, uh, you know, industry-leading benefits at other carriers and us receiving the crew room meals, uh, delayed coming to the bargaining table, metering for the pilots who went to Delta. There's been a lot of blows to our pilot group. Um, yeah. We felt it was I know. correct in this sense to to try and get that benefit for the pilots. Um, and it's caused an impasse in the negotiations. Yeah, and John, you know, if you wanna reach out to me personally, cause I know you have uh, my number, go ahead. I know you're, you're at United now and congratulations on your United job. 
Um, again, that is our stance. The company has taken a different stance. It will be up to the pilots uh, that are here currently to provide us guidance and figure out which direction we're going to go. So thanks, John. Uh, text question from Detroit 900FO Ansley Honeycutt. Uh, they say retropay question. My understanding is negotiations for a TA were due to the hemorrhage of pilots here at 90 over the past six months. One, isn't the goal to sustain and grow? Yes, uh, that's what management indicates. Two, where does the concern for compensating previous employees who voluntarily chose to depart the company slash Delta brand come into play? Um, that concern is being a, a addressed by us. Yep, uh, we're, we are trying to cover those pilots. Um, this obviously is no guarantee, but it's it's something that we're pushing for and obviously being met with a little bit of resistance on. Uh, the company believes that retention paired with industry leading pay rates and escalators and contractual benefits will allow us to sustain and grow. Uh, whether or not that happens in, in light of everything else in the fee-for-departure industry, it'll be seen. Um, you know, that, that obviously comes down to everyone's individual decisions. This next question goes right into it. Uh, I don't know if I'll be able to answer it, but I'll at least read it. Uh, the email is from group member. I commend Alpha leadership in considering all pilots in regard to retropay, even those who have left the property and still perform services for the month of October. First question, how many pilots left the property since September 30th that Alpa, uh, Endeavor Alpa wants to con be considered in this retropay? I don't know the answer. So that, that would be, a, yeah, well... Ish. 103 from I think they're saying from September 30 onwards oh, so 103 yeah. in October and the November numbers variable you know if, if this was somehow ratified and agreed a week ago that would have maybe only covered 20 pilots if it's ratified November 28th that maybe covers well we, we, we don't know where the month is going but maybe that covers 100 pilots maybe it covers 60 pilots so um, the short answer is we our position is it should cover all of those separating since then. Um, that's just kind of where this impasse has been met. So then the second part of that question is, if retro pay is not obtainable from management for those pilots that left the property, what other options are, are there for those that are still on site to receive some sort of retro pay? So the retro pay, if you are still here on property at the date of ratification, you will receive retro pay. Yep, again, to, to be crystal clear, <laughs> this isn't a we're only fighting for pilots who have left. It's the, the agreed position is anyone on property at date of ratification. Uh, so that would cover someone that was still here. And the impasse is on all of those who are not here but have separated since September 30th. Yeah, and I think we've, honestly, guys, I think we beat that horse to death um, as far as the retro pay is concerned. I know it is really a point of contention for a lot of pilots. What I'm going to ask that you do is reach out to your reps. Reach out to your LEC reps. You can reach them via email. You can reach them via the phone tree. All of their contact information is on the bottom of every single hotline. You need to reach out to your reps and provide them your feedback on that. So uh, the next question is again from Minneapolis 200 Captain Mark Rassler. In regards to reserve rules, can you comment on what reserve staffing percentages are compared to other fee-for-departure companies? The answer to that is no. We do not know what the other staffing levels are for the other FFDs. What is the percentage that we have of LCR? 30%. Is there anything contractually about how much LCR we should have? Yes, 30%. 30%. Were, uh, was there points of negotiations for increasing the LCR percentage? Yes, we wanted to increase it. Our goal is to get to the Delta system 
which is 100% LCR. We weren't able to make any inroads because we are the highest in the fee-for-departure industry. The company recognized that, and they said that they were not willing to entertain any uh, additional increases. Plus, there is some inefficiencies that go into the LCR system. And again, that could potentially drive headcounts. And with the removal of Ready Reserve, they didn't want to put more pilots on LCR. But it is going to remain a strategic objective of the MEC. Uh, email question from Detroit 900FO Healy. Uh, essentially, the lead-in is discussing the expense of training a pilot only to lose them from the airline. Uh, they believe part of the reason of this non-Delta attrition is from LOA-129, uh, which for anyone who's not familiar with the CAP agreement, it does state that someone who is a CAP pilot but unsuccessfully interviews with Delta off the street will no longer be eligible for their CAP movement. Um, this was by design from the company. Uh, this was not the position we wanted. During LOA-125, regardless of your interview outcome, you are still protected to advance to Delta through the flow. Um, however, this was something that the company bargained for and, and wanted to obtain in LOA-129. Uh, I would say on the other side of the coin, um, from LOA-129, they also wanted pilots to serve a mandatory uh, 60 months total on property in addition to the 24 months as captain, or sorry, four and a half years, 54 months on property. That changed in a future negotiation. Um, by no means is this something that would permanently be in LOA-129. But you are correct, Healy, that this is a handcuff, so to speak, from the company that when you tell a pilot, hey, if you interview at Delta, you can't cap, but if you interview everywhere else in the world and are unsuccessful, you can cap, you're sort of driving that pilot into interviewing at every other possible airline. Um, there is a second part to that. Oh, there is a second part. I think many pilots who fall under the cap don't want to lose their ability to flow, so they're applying to all other airlines instead, using the flow as a backup. Correct. That's absolutely correct. And we um, told them that would happen. Yes, we've warned them about this. We said this would drive FOs to going to all other carriers besides Delta. Um, this is language the company hasn't been interested in changing, but obviously it does... Uh, increase FO attrition prior to what it uh, might otherwise be without this language. It seems like it's more of a general statement with this question. There's um, a question at the very end. Since Endeavor is a Delta family, I think it's an excellent opportunity to serve Delta at Endeavor. Have you ever considered to remove or renegotiating this statement? Uh, the answer is, look, when we did 129, make this very simple. When we did 129, um, we didn't give anything for it. So we didn't really have any leverage to change the terms and conditions. We said to them, look, we're going to make some recommendations to you. We don't think that this is smart, like the four-and-a-half-year service requirement, and lo and behold, the very next LOA, they, they removed it. Um, but right now, again, you know, we, we didn't have any type of leverage to really get a lot of different gains. So I think in the future, when you, we talk about strategic bargaining priorities of the pilot group, if this is something that you would like us to prioritize, we certainly can look at that. Um, DT not, not I think we already answered. Oh, this no, one. this is oh. slightly different. All right, DTW 900 First Officer Samuel Archer. I'm standing up for all pilots that have left with regards to retro pay. My concern is what is the advantage for the company to agree to the TA uh, before November 1? I think you mean before December, December 1. 1. And as pilots that are still here, would we decide to miss out on the retro pay on behalf of pilots that have already left? The simple answer is the advantage to the company in ratifying or reaching a TA with us for ratification is to keep the airline churning, stabilize and grow. Yeah, they they need these pay rates. We've as well. covered that. We've we've said that they they need to address their retention and their acquisition problem. So they need this just as much as we do. And we haven't gotten any sense that they're trying to slow roll it. 
as far as miss out on the retro pay on behalf of the pilots that have already left, you know, our position has been these are pilots that were represented by us and by the association. And as you've heard uh, previously, they were dues paying members under this contract and under this JCBA. And we're simply trying to represent them because, again, there is a fundamental difference on a look back on a wage versus a forward-looking program on a bonus. There is a fundamental difference on that, and we're trying to impress that upon the company and impress that upon you tonight, and that's why we've taken the position we've taken. I think the question actually might be asking, though, if you would miss out on the retro pay because of the pilots that you left, and the answer is, again, no. Like we've said, if mm -hmm. you are still here on property, a date of ratification, you will receive the retro pay. Correct. Yep. Um, Atlanta 200 Captain Richard Sprague, when can we know more about the new daytime contact period? The, day, the new daytime contact period is going to be just like the existing contact periods. Um, the company has full discretion on when they start the contact period time per current book. So when we figure out, when the company gets the marketing schedules from Delta, they're going to figure out, do they need that additional daytime contact period based upon how early that first departure goes out? And that's when we're going to know what the new uh, contact period is going to look like. I have a feeling that P the new P3 is just going to start at 10 a.m., which is where the P2 starts, and the P2 will probably start again 5, 6, 7, and the P1 starts at probably yeah. 2 or 3. Sub subject to company discretion. Mm -hmm. but, uh, email question, 900FO Lance Jackson. How long does a new captain off of OE have to be in the left seat to collect the full amount of the retention bonus? As outlined in LOA 130, it's a 24-month retention program. Uh, you have to be here for 24 months to hit all three of those payments and be released from, from the repayment obligation. All right, next question is a text from New York City, 900FO Jake Piazza. If the TA is not ratified by the end of November, are there any provisions to still obtain the retro pay or is it gone at that point? Um, I think, I'm gonna let you answer this one, actually. <laughs> sure. <laughs> so right now we have an agreement in principle with the company that if we can reach a ratified TA by the end of November 30th, that we will get retro pay back to September 30th, the October bid period. If we don't reach that point, is it gone forever? No, that's a subject of a new negotiation. We would have to go back into the room with them and we would have to discuss what a retro pay um, option is going to look like and if even retro pay was going to be available. Um, so that would be a future discussion for a future negotiation. I think both sides are focused on just getting this deal done today. All right, we've got a pilot in the queue for a question. So we're gonna go uh, back to the live questions. You're on air with the chair. Oh, looks like he dropped out. We scared him off already. All right, well, if you want to call back in, 612-662-9825, um, press star one to ask a question. Nope, oh, I think we already did that one. Yep. Uh, Minneapolis Tuner Captain Mike Pocker asks, what are the retro pay provisions for a pilot on a leave of absence or sick leave beginning October 1st? Um, again, should we reach a tentative agreement uh, under the current terms, a pilot who is still on property would receive retro pay for all pay credits accrued during the October and November bid month at the new wage rate. Um, even if you were on leave, you were accruing pay credits on leave, a, a what, 60% of 80 hours, I think, is extended sick leave, mm -hmm. um, and that would pay out at your new wage rate at the time. 
Next one is from Atlanta 200 First Officer Joshua Nunn. On the date of ratification, will Ready Reserve immediately end? Wouldn't that be hilarious? We ratify it like, I don't know, like noon or something. And, and they we, call everyone and they get to go Oh, home. They, wouldn't, they wouldn't call. We'd probably have to send out a yeah. text or something <laughs> yeah. be like, you're released. No, uh, there is going to be some amount of planning, and this comes down to implementation. If we ratify here, um, be, because they wouldn't have been able to put the new daytime contact period in the bid pack, for December, you're probably looking at more of a January elimination for Ready Reserve. Yep. All right. Email from Atlanta 900 FO Bruno Fonseca. Uh, is it worth the risk of losing back pay for everyone still on property to try and benefit people that have left already? And again, we're not giving up retro pay for people who are still here at date of ratification for people who have already left. If you are still here, you still get the retro pay. I think that one's maybe driving more towards, mm -hmm. is this the, uh, so to speak, hill to die on, on letting the entire agreement crumble? Um, we believe that we are still going to be capturing retro pay, I think is maybe the legal way to word that, um, regardless of that that side of the outcome. Uh, we're, we're not putting a remainder of the agreement overall in jeopardy we believe even if there's a delayed timeline that we'd still be capturing retro pay for pilots and bruno you know yes pilots have left for other airlines including delta right or including retirees and what i would just say is remember these are pilots that were represented by us they were dues paying members and fundamentally there is a difference in a look back retro rate and so we understand that you're concerned that the pilots have made their decisions you've made the decision to stay and you want to be represented, we want all people to be represented, all pilots to be represented. Remember, the company culture, and it has hamstrung us in achieving some of our strategic objectives, including most recently getting some 401k improvements, is we have to treat everybody equally and we have to treat everybody the same. We hear that out of the company constantly. And in most cases, it's it's used as a, a spear to thwart some of our our attempted contractual gains but then they seem to apply it disparately in these types of situations and we would just you know advocate for something a little bit more consistent but again what you really should do is reach out to your LEC rep that though that is your point of communication they will drive the negotiators and the officers uh, the next one is New York City 900 first officer Nick Carbone say the TA is ratified on November 25th if an opted in FO with more than 850 hours does all their flying in November prior to November 25th, will the entire month of the November of, of November be paid at the new FO rate or captain rate, or will it split? So remember, we are only talking about retroing the wage. That is it. There is, we're not retroing any other component of the potential tentative agreement. We're not, we're not going to be doing a look back. We're not going to be saying you hit 850 hours at, at November 1. So now you're going to get everything. That will be a forward-looking program. So what you're going to do is you're going to get retroed on a higher first officer rate, and then you will be able to opt into the early captain reten or captain pay program if that's what you so choose. And from that date forward, then you will receive the captain rate. Uh, Detroit 900 FO Shea Patel, uh, thanks for all your hard work. Have there been any possible attempts in the new agreement to implement picking up open time flying during reserve periods? Thanks very much. Have a good night. Uh, in this agreement, uh, no. The information that's been presented to the pilot group is what will be included in this agreement. There's not other provisions such as reserve proffering or aggressive reserve pickup. Uh, these are strategic objectives overall, but not something that made the uh, cutting f cut for this agreement. All right, so apparently 
we have reached the end of the call. I'm being told on the slide, no more questions, emails, or texts. Um, oh, nice. Thank you for all that you do. Uh, who wrote that in there? That was, that's funny. Um, so anyways, uh, it has been almost three hours, pilots. I want to appreciate, uh, first want to say thank you so much for joining us on the call tonight. I want to thank you for your patience as we work through this AIP to TA process. Um, and we're going to take your feedback from tonight, from the slides that we are questions that we have received. Please give your feedback to your LEC reps. They're going to take it back to us. We're still on track to have this thing ratified and solve the problems that we need to solve before the end of this month. But, you know, please participate in that process. Once we get a tentative agreement, we will um, communicate that to you through our normal communication channels, which is going to be an MEC update. And you will have a chance to have a comment period and to ask further questions. And if we have to jump on another one of these calls, we absolutely will. I also recorded a podcast um, before Eddie Norberg became a walking Petri dish that will probably also be pushed out later this week that uh, you guys can listen to for some follow-up information. Um, before I say some final words, uh, Adam, Victoria, Carl, you guys got anything else? I think that's about it. Uh, again, we, you know, we really appreciate everyone in the pilot group's understanding on, on why we didn't have formal TA language to present to you or to have in hand before reaching this call. Um, we've, we've been very successful at hitting our timelines over the last couple of years. And in this case, we just couldn't quite come together on that last handful of items. Um, obviously, the pilot group always expects a lot out of us. Um, I think we do a really good product uh, through negotiations and the calls like this. Uh, sometimes even we can't read the tea, tea leaves right in this situation. Mm -hmm. So uh, once that's available, this, this will go out, as Nick said, through an MEC update, and uh, we want to get it into pilots' hands as soon as we can. But we, we still have to respect our process through that. Mm -hmm. So we appreciate everyone's understanding, and since I'm no longer a rep, I can say, please blow up your rep's phones. <laughs> Just call them, phone tree, text them. Yeah, Dan Krieger, Minneapolis. I know he loves getting called when he's out in the deer stand. Well, wait a minute, who's 1-1? Um, who's one, one? Is that, uh, that's Fitchner in Yeah, Detroit, Detroit is 1-1. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's so the easy one to go to. We, we, uh, these guys get to throw us under the bus sometimes. We get to throw <laughs> them right back, too. But uh, no, that, that it's 100%. This is driven by pilot engagement, pilot feedback to your reps, and that's what gets us to this point in the first place so awesome that's all i got victoria carl you guys got anything how does it feel to finish your last on air with the chair yeah i don't think we've had an on air with a delta pilot at the yeah. table <laughs> oh i wouldn't say i'm quite there yeah i'm not wearing a hat although oh, i'm wearing i'm gonna wear the lanyard you though. got a seniority number yeah, i don't I'm, know i'm wearing their lanyard so Anyways, uh, pilot group, thank you so much. It has been it's been a blast uh, leading you. It's been my um, sincere pleasure and honor. I'm always gonna uh, have some very fond memories of my time here at Endeavor. And as always, uh, fly safe, be safe, and I can't wait to see you all on the line at Delta. Good night, everyone. <laughs>